Hey everybody, welcome to Don't Sit in the Front. This week I got to sit down and talk to Rivers Langley. He's at Rivers Langley on Instagram and Twitter. Rivers is the host of the Goods from the Woods podcast, stand-up comic. He was uh, running some stand-up shows around L.A. And man, we went long on this one. We really nerded out about alternative comedy, kind of the history of it, surrounding comedy, and he talked about doing college radio at Auburn, kind of getting that scene going how he wanted it. Talked about his podcast has been doing something called the Corona Diaries, where they've recorded many episodes a week at the start of the pandemic. Now they're down to three a week. Um, I've been enjoying that. Kind of helps to keep sane. And nice to hear them. He's a roommate with Carter Glasscock, who's been on the show before. And for the comic or album that was inspiring, we talked about Kyle Kinane's Death of the Party from 2010. Uh, it's very interesting to listen to that again now that Kyle Kinane's uh, the status that he's at. But yeah, this uh, we nerded out hard, so it's a long one. Um, definitely check out Rivers' podcast, The Goods from the Woods. And I'll get right into the episode. It says Rivers Langley. talking on recent episodes like you got i don't know if it was your start but you were doing college radio at auburn yeah 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 w-e-g-l that was our uh that's our campus radio station that's uh, celebrating their 50th anniversary this month nice so they they contacted us to they were like hey would you like to do a like a reunion show so i ended up doing my two shows again with mm. with my old co-hosts and it was so much fun mm-hmm. well, so what kind of what kind of stuff did you do like for content or were you just literally the person in between music or no well the thing about weagle uh that's what that's what it's called weagle weagle 91 the thing about weagle is that when we got there it was a ghost ship like Mm. there was nobody (laughs) like they had a 100 disc cd changer that just played all day and they had a couple sports shows Mm where you just random college students are just being like, well, I mean, you know, Auburn's defense is looking good this year. You know, they got that new, uh, they got that new guy. They, they recruited out of Hoover. Like it was just that, yeah, you know, and then nothing else. And it was one of those things where we're like, Oh, there is, there's no one behind the wheel here at yeah, all. Yeah. And we just took it the fuck over. Like mm. literally I just called all of my like interesting friends that I had. I was like, dude, like you can just do a show and mm. two varying levels of enthusiasm. You know, I definitely had at one point a ton of people I knew come on board, but it's like a thing you learn pretty quick. Is just like, as you're, as you're figuring out doing the podcast, yeah. it's like w- with anything else, you're like, Oh, this is like a real commitment. You have to love this shit. Mm-hmm. And I did. And I was there by the end of my college, like by the year I graduated, uh, I was at that radio station from like 10 to 12 hours a week. Mm, yeah. Always on air, like, or just hanging out. And it <laughs> yeah. was the thing where we had a rule where if, you know, there's a time slot that somebody's claimed, 
let's say it's 1 p.m. Like you were a DJ and you're like, oh, you know, James is supposed to be here at 1 p.m. Mm. By 1.15, if you weren't there, that's a free slot. <laughs> and so we would just sit there because we were like, this motherfucker never shows up. And we yeah. just sit there and we would just start playing whatever we want. And if they showed up, obviously, you know, you give them the studio. But like most of the time it was just like, all right, we'll just get on here and fuck around. Mm. And uh, we would take calls. We'd put callers on the air. Um, but like, so that's the the callers would have to come from people listening to the college radio station. Yeah, the, go uh, about what give sort us a call eight four four WEGL. That's eight four four nine three four five. Let us hear what you want to hear. You know that kind of thing. Yeah, and uh, I think I mentioned this on the podcast, but like my favorite calls that I've ever gotten mm. were they would be like, "This is a collect call from the Lee County Detention Facility. Oh. Do you accept charges?" Like, fuck yeah, yeah. No, it's not my phone. <laughs> And then you'd get guys. I remember the one I remember most clearly was I played uh, I played the song My Name Is Mud by Primus, uh-huh. and which is like the you know it's like such a perfect song for jail, yeah. or something, you know, to like just that kind of like scuzzy like hillbilly fucking weird thrash funk, you know. Yeah. And I got a call from a guy just being like, "Dude, I just wanted to say like I appreciate what you're doing, and uh, uh, if I could, uh, I just want to hear some more Primus." So I was like, "Fuck yeah, bro! Absolutely yeah. anything, you know." I'm like Johnny Cash, man. I'm doing this for you. Yeah, the, the prisoner, the downtrodden. I'm the man in black, baby. So I fucking I, you know, played him. Uh, played like three more Primus songs, and yeah, made, you know, hopefully made that guy's. Uh, you know, for in. sure, somebody is hearing what you're doing and wants to hear specific things about it. That's great. Then you kind of said the perfect uh, keyword, which was uh, enthusiasm. Yeah, and I. I sort of came, I started to learn about your podcast and you through uh, like Kyle Clark's podcast. This is rad. Sure. Then, yeah. Yeah. That's how uh, most people uh, found out about us. For the listener here, Rivers has a podcast called The Goods from the Woods. Um, and in recent, I'd say during the pandemic, it has become a kind of a sidetrack and does something a little different, but same kind of vibe, but is uh, the Corona Diaries, which you were doing. Did you start doing that every day? In the- Yeah, well, when it first started, so uh, my co-host Sam Harder is mm-hmm. also a hilarious comedian from Austin, Texas. He's my next door neighbor. Uh, I call him America's next door neighbor because mm-hmm. he is, he just has that vibe of like, oh yeah, cool dude that lives next to me. You know, yeah. He's a hilarious comic. And uh, he, um, you know, we've had, we've had lineup changes, uh, throughout the podcast. I started it in 2013 with a, uh, uh, comedian slash college professor, uh, named Dr. Pat Riley, mm. who is a sociology, uh, professor at the time at UCLA. He's since moved on to, uh, British Columbia at the university in Vancouver. Okay. And so we call him our co-host emeritus cause he's, uh-huh. you know, he's not gone. You know, I love talking to Pat, but it's just v- obviously very difficult to, you know, kind of set that in motion. And then my original other co-host, Mr. Goodnight, uh, <laughs> no clue literally at the end of 2000 or at the like august of 2018 he was like he's like so daddy uh i'm gonna go away on a, a bit of a summer vacation but i'll be back i'll be back I don't know. And so are he's there like he, fan theories or yeah, I mean, he's, I mean, it, it fits right in with who he is. Like uh-huh. anybody who has been with the show since 2013, it makes sense. And there is a, uh, there's a spoken word piece that Bob Dylan did when Woody Guthrie died. Okay. And he goes, uh, he's like, if you want to find truth, you got two options. You can, uh, you can go to, <laughs> he's like, you can go find God, uh, or you can find Woody Guthrie. You can mm. find God at, uh, at the church of your choice, or you can go 
to Brooklyn State Hospital and you can find Woody Guthrie, but you'll find them both at the Grand Canyon at sundown. And that's uh-huh. the end of the thing. So when people ask me, they're like, where's where the hell is Mr. Goodnight? I'm like, you can find him at the Grand Canyon at sundown, daddy. <laughs> I don't know. Um, but that's kind of the perfect, you know, for that for that big of a character to just disappear into thin air. Yeah. You know, it's kind of perfect. And what's funny is I still hear from his brother all the time. Like, hmm. like Frank texts me about once a month and is like, Hey man, you know where to get like a $500 car? And I'm like, Facebook, Frank, I know yeah. you don't like it, but just get on there to get on their market. And it's nothing but $500 cars. Hmm. Uh, so, but point is, uh, after, after good night left, uh, it was just like, we'd had Sam on the show a couple of times. I was like, this dude is hilarious. He's got such a different, a different vibe, but still a very complimentary vibe. He's very deadpan and very funny. Yeah, that's really so, lucky to. Well, it's it's lucky when you get cool neighbors, and also that he's also a comic, comedically minded, and wanted to do totally. Yeah, podcast, yeah. And uh, so we had Sam on, and then uh, you know we kind of shuffled through a bunch of different people for Mike three. And then, uh, Carter Glasscock, uh, yeah, moved to town, former guest on this podcast. Yeah. Yeah. I actually listened to his episode. Uh, oh, nice. yeah, he's, uh, he's a dude I actually started with. I'm sure we're going to talk about, uh, uh, you know, when I started in Alabama, mm-hmm. uh, I ran a show in downtown Auburn at a place called the big blue bagel, mm-hmm. uh, there. And the, I knew the manager at the time and they had decided to open at night and serve drinks Mm. and i was talking to the manager and he's like yeah man no one comes in here at night i'm like yeah it's a bagel place yeah yeah i was already i was already like breakfast or coffee maybe coffee house right and they got sandwiches so it's like a very breakfast and lunch you know sort of place and uh but yeah he was like yeah for some reason no one comes in here at night i was like I could probably get some people in there if I started this, you know, if I started a show there. And so they were nice enough to give us the beer special. I'll never forget dollar PBRs, Mm. which already, if anybody (laughs) listening to this as a comedian, you know where this is going. Dollar PBRs, $2 blue moon. That was my beer special. Hmm. So I put that on all the posters and we people would show up whether or not they care about the comedy just that's a good beer yeah, special. yeah yeah as steve martin said in his book i was hosting a party mm. it was no longer a performance it was right, yeah. it was fucking crazy and also i didn't know because i was we started that show in october of 2011 at that point i was like eight months into comedy okay because i'd started like december 2010 mm. and so yeah or, or i can't count 10 months into comedy right mm-hmm. not quite a year and I didn't know how to produce a show, right. you know? And so I just was like, oh yeah, everybody gets 15 minutes. And I'd book like 12 people, like, you yeah. know, cause I'm insane and I love comedy. So mm. I can sit there and watch comedy at the time. I've, I've grown out of this phase right, yeah. uh, being in it. But mm. at the time I could sit there and watch people do stand up ad infinitum forever. And, and 15 minutes is... It takes a long time to develop. Especially if people aren't polished, which many of the people, because my whole thing was, you know, I kind of came at this as like a, you know, sort of a, you know, a scene building exercise. Uh Whereas like Auburn has no comedy scene. Mm. So the way to change that is to find where there are scenes. And the good thing about the South is that, you know, we've got, we don't have, you know, big cities, but we've got the sec right and so i was kind of curious about like what kind of a town is auburn located in so auburn is uh under a hundred thousand people with the students maybe a little bit closer to a hundred thousand so it's very much a small town but the thing i always impress upon people is that it is 
economically invincible because of the university. Uh-huh. So unlike a lot of small towns, which if there's a big recession or something, you know, a bunch of stores will leave and blah, blah, blah. With Auburn, there's 20,000 kids mm. coming every September to, to fill up that yeah, cup again. 20,000 new consumers. Yeah. And, and then also the football thing, too. Right. Like they are making billions of dollars people visiting just to watch games eight saturdays out of the year that town if you open a restaurant in august you have to first of all you have to open your restaurant in like july or august Mm. and you have to be able to hook in the football crowd or else it's your business is kind of fucked Uh because if you don't make a ton of money during football season it's it's sort of a it's sort of a drought for those kind of, mm. you know, consumer based jobs and stuff like that for the rest of the year. But um, as far as housing goes, as far as just, you know, money, the the machine will keep turning no matter what. So I always clarify that, like, I grew up in a small town, but it's not, you know, a college town is different than just mm. a regular small town. You grew town. up there and went there. I was born and raised in Auburn. Oh, nice. Yeah. And then yeah. is it kind of like a blue dot or part of my like kind no. of no, <laughs> it's okay. the most conservative public university uh, in America pretty mm-hmm. consistently uh so not non-religious affiliated but if you just look at the raw numbers it's it's fairly conservative still huh okay um so college town vibe but like I went to University of Wisconsin that's where uh, I'm from so oh sure it's so sort yeah. of a oasis depending absolutely on how you feel about it. but yeah an oasis uh in a very conservative otherwise state but then this sounds like it's just kind of that but college flavor or yeah it's college flavor i mean i don't mean to like suggest that it's like it's one of those where people have deeply held conservative beliefs Mm. but they'll still go to like an art opening you know like it's uh, they've got like what you would consider cosmopolitan trappings Mm. but then if you talk to anybody you know it's it's pretty Mm. even if they're not like the you know the evil MAGA conservative shitheads they're like classic like oh we're rich and we don't trust certain people you know it's that kind of vibe for a lot not not my friends necessarily but a Mm. lot of a lot of people's parents like I told this story on the podcast yesterday Mm. a buddy of mine his sister got his dad for Christmas uh one of them uh Mike Lindell my pillows okay (laughs) and it was the happiest her father had ever been <laughs> like <It's> so bleak <laughs> and he just... was like thank you this is incredible like it's that kind of thing so mm. you know but bubbling under the surface is many unpleasant things but i will say for auburn we have a uh, consistent history of apathy uh, also because mm. we and my my proof of this the only sec school sec school that didn't have a race riot during desegregation it was literally just Auburn, like, oh, we can't be bothered. <laughs> like, that is so... My, my friend Miles, his dad always says, uh, you know, Auburn has a rich tradition of apathy. Okay. So I always like that. But that is sort of the difficulty in building any any sort of scene there mm. including music because i you know we go to lots of shows and stuff like that and it was always a thing where you know and it was always so frustrating because athens is like less than three hours away and uh, you go to a place like athens georgia which very similar to madison wisconsin mm. has this vibrant music scene and all you know and is proud of it and always mm-hmm. has and part of it's because athens has i think a hundred bars in downtown athens yeah. so there's shitloads of stage time everywhere for mm-hmm. bands so that's that's part of what does it and Auburn doesn't have that but it was always just like man we can't have a quarter of this like Mm. consistency because what would happen is we'd have this great scene there'd be all these different kind of interesting bands and stuff like that and then everybody would graduate and just disperse into the wind Mm. and uh with the comedy scene it's uh you know I, I I ran into that problem I guess a little bit uh although I didn't know it at the time but when I left you know, it, it kept going for a little while, but effectively, and by the way, if anybody in Auburn is listening, 
tweet at me at Rivers Langley and tell me I'm a fucking idiot because maybe I just don't know because I'm old now. Yeah, but like it's just generations too. Like right. Yeah. Although I will say what was funny was uh, I'm uh, buddies with uh, Roy Wood Jr. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Roy, I legitimately and i'm not just saying this because i know the guy i would consider him like top five living comics right now Mm. like he is just one of the most incredible performers ever and it just so happened last year i went back uh or year before last i'm not counting 2020 last Uh year 2019 i went back and uh the day i got back to town i was gonna you know kind of go i always go back to uh, there's a music festival just outside of auburn called the waverly boogie uh that i go and host Mm. i've been hosting that every year so i actually got the job through one of my college radio shows because okay. uh, it's done by a, um, a guy, Scott Peak, who runs a company called Standard Deluxe, and they print T-shirts and tour posters and they do silkscreen original art and stuff mm-hmm. like that. And, you know, they uh, they've been around since, I think, 1991. So this will be their, you know, 30th anniversary and they've done stuff for Eric Clapton and Bob Dylan and the Alabama Shakes, like, you know, big, big performers and stuff like that. And they have this little music festival and they used to listen to my country show. We did a country show that's going to be coming back in the little reunion special we're doing called the Hot Damn Radio Hour. Hmm. Uh, And we used to do that and play like old like Jimmy Rogers and Hank Williams, but then Mm -hmm. also, you know, Wilco and uh, the recently canceled Ryan Adams. That was a fun thing going back through. Going back through all my playlists and being like, damn, we played a lot of Whiskey Town and Ryan Adams, my God. Um, but uh, yeah, they heard that show and hired me to host that festival. So I always kind of make that, uh, you know, a centerpiece of my spring mm. every year is going back to host that music festival. And then also I'll do a little run around the South and do shows in New Orleans and mm. Nashville and Atlanta and, you know, kind of make the run. And I was going back uh, back in 2019 and I land the plane. And somebody texted me. They're like, hey, uh, uh, are you going to this tonight? And it was a poster for Roy. Roy was going to be at oh, the wow. it was going to be in Auburn. Mm. And uh, and I was just like, oh, no, I didn't know that. So I texted Roy. I was like, yo, you're going to I'm home. Like, let's let's hang. Mm. Um, and uh, but yeah, so I forgot where the hell I was going. Well, with let's, I want to put a button in kind of like we have a little bit of it fleshed out of like where you're coming from. Yeah, so sure. very much from like Alabama and things. I kind of I was just interested, too, because you uh kind of went on a little sojourn like a lot of people did in Ooh. the pandemic and you went and i think went and stayed there for a bit i did yeah i, I remember uh now uh the point of that it wasn't just to be name droppy mm. it was about the scene so after the show mm. roy destroyed and it actually it helped me because the whole point of doing that run was my goal was to in march of 2020 record an album oh, okay <laughs> that was my like i was like that was the date i picked and everything i was like March of 2020. So this is April 2019. I'm like, I'm going to try to do as many long sets as I can Mm. to try to get used to doing an hour because stage time in LA is very hard to get. Mm -hmm. But when you go out on the road, if you just tell people like, yeah, I don't, you know, I've been on Food Network four times, but uh, (laughs) I don't have any real credits kind of a thing. People just be like, oh, you're from LA, do an hour, you know? Yeah. And so that was kind of the goal. But I went to see Roy and it was very inspiring because Roy is the master of silences and holding like mm. holding tension to the point where you're just like and then he'll just hit you with something. that's incredible. So he does. He does an hour just fire bombs, just, you know, destroyed. Mm. And afterwards, 
everybody lined up to get a picture and and say hey to him and stuff like that. And he was very gracious with his time and said hey to everybody, talked to everybody. And I'm just kind of off to the side because we were going to go get a drink and stuff. And so I'm just like hanging out. And I noticed there are these like four kind of awkward, sweaty kids just off to the side, just mm-hmm. like kind of like waiting their turn. I'm like, that's the comics. Yeah. <laughs> like I just I knew it. Like I could just tell by looking at them. I was like, those are the comics. Mm-hmm. And sure enough, they came up and they were just like, okay, you know, we're trying to do comedy and blah, blah, blah. Do you have any advice? You know, mm. and Roy, Roy knows that I started that show in Auburn. He's like, actually, that's the motherfucker you need to talk to. Yeah. And he pointed at me and I was just like, yeah, I'm doing a show here next weekend. <laughs> like, come on, you know? Yeah. Um, so there was, so there's a little bit, but it's, it's not like, you know, mm. it, it's, it's weird. It's like hard, you know, that's been one of the kind of cool things about doing this show is I talk to people from different areas and you kind of hear like different scenes and then doing some things on zoom, I would talk to people actually out in different sure. scenes and stuff. I'm curious, like I, I just ask people about different things they've been doing as comics in the pandemic. So like you're doing the Corona diaries, right? Right. Have you learned anything? Do you think you've learned anything about yourself or comics or comedy by doing essentially you were doing a podcast every day for the start of the yeah quarantine. yeah oh i forgot yeah that was that was the whole thing it, i that's why i started talking about yeah. sam it was sam's idea he was just like hey let's do a 15 minute show every day because mm. we're stuck in this thing and i was you know and you can actually hear it you can it's my favorite thing about doing this honestly because now i have a i have it on record mm-hmm. the countless dumb predictions we all made for how long this was going to last. Right. Like, I think I said, I was like, ah, you know, my birthday's July 14th. I was like, it'll be over by my birthday. Yeah. <laughs> you know, just a fucking idiot. But mm. Sam's idea was like, let's do a little show every day. And you could see how they got, I think the first episode was like 20 something minutes. Yeah. And that's about as close as we got to the original idea. And then it just ballooned into we're doing like an hour and a half, mm. you know, originally every day. And then it started uh, running people ragged a little bit. So it was like, all right, let's just do we'll record Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday and drop Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. It's like people hearing it, though, would think at, at first, I think the idea is like, oh, you're going to hear people slowly going crazy, as most of us did. That was kind of what we thought. Yeah, right? yeah. Yeah. But then I feel like it kind of progressed into turns out like humans like to gather together it turns out they yeah. like to talk comics especially and then it i kind of th- view it as probably being very healthy you know, yeah you, oh you, my you God. had that outlet you had you could bounce things off of each other just having that to talk and then as someone listening to it you know it was nice to just hear like other people going through the same thing and they're talking to yeah, each other and, yeah well it was like kind of you know we kind of thought of it as like you know partially to document the world falling apart because yeah. that's inherently interesting. If it's not funny, it's at least like, holy shit. Like I'm not crazy, right? This is insane. Yeah. You know, and it helps, you know, I, I've said this a million times on the show, but like, that's the best thing that we did the mm-hmm. whole, the whole time, like men- mentally just for everybody was just being able to get together in a room and either talk about how crazy things are or talk about whatever dumb stuff we're into. And it was a way to like explore, you know, very niche interests, which I think mm. everybody kind of did, you know, everybody, at least, you know, uh, you know, God bless them. A lot of people had to go work, you know, and stuff yeah. like that. But for just like idiots like us, it was like, well, we're just sitting here watching, you know, weird movies and like, oh, here's some dumb thing we found on YouTube or mm. like, oh, a crazy woman is screaming at Trader Joe's. That's funny. You know, yeah. that kind of thing. And so I you think know. 
one of the more innovative things you've done to find content and I find highly entertaining oh. and very sociologically interesting <laughs> is you've looked at, you've kind of gone through and combed through YouTube comments yes. on like things loosely in the like kind of butt rock realm. Butt or, rock, bro country, uh, uh, classic rock, basically the, yeah, we call it the jam of the day. And again, another, uh, uh, another sort of Sam idea actually was we, we were talking about there is a, a three six mafia affiliated white rapper named Lil White. Uh, <laughs> that if people know anything of Lil White, if you recall the first season of Eastbound and Down, uh, when Kenny Powers is shooting steroids into his ass, there's a song playing where a guy's going, <laughs> "I'm getting fucked up, man. I'm getting fucked up." That's Lil White. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and Sam was talking about his other song, Oxycontin. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you know, you can guess what that's about. And. <laughs> And then we, you know, we listen to the song. We're like, oh, this is hilarious. And then Sam was just like, oh, man, listen to these comments. Mm. And then we just started going. And I think I said when we recorded that, I was like, we got to do this for everything. Like, <laughs> there's got to be comments like this on every song. And now I've done well, it's it. It's a for- well that can never run dry. No. And, and, and then you start to see like the patterns. patterns like, yes. Yeah. yeah. You get the you get the Chris Hansen section where yeah. <laughs> we think it's uh, like FBI agents like trying to lure in uh, creepy mm. pedophiles to message them. being like, I'm a little girl. And you're like, mm. Mm, you seem like a cop. Uh, Russian bot. <laughs> Russian bots. Uh, badly translated things where mm. they're trying to redo the lyrics but it's just wrong uh angry a lot of real sad nostalgia oh yeah a lot of nostalgia like a lot of you know the one we did yesterday was cat scratch fever because ted nugent got covid so we're like well we got to do that one <laughs> yeah. uh and one of them was just like this is the song that i wake my daughter up with every morning she likes rap <laughs> and you're just like what <laughs> why are you telling why do i know this i don't need to know this about you you shouldn't do that but also i shouldn't know um but yeah uh, again so listeners that's a- should check out uh, the goods from the woods podcast yeah Recently been corona diaries kind of special <laughs> series but um i've been putting them on our youtube too so youtube.com slash the goods pod if you just want to see just the just the songs uh I've, I've been trying to uh put all of those up as well yeah clip them out then so I good from the woods. Did you in the concept for it? You have a lot of comics on from the south, and I think it. We yeah. I think I've learned interesting things. I was talking to Carter about it too. Sure. Um, what do you think being from the south means or does for comedy? Uh, just kind of writ large. Oh man, it's. Uh, I mean, it's honestly, it's a shortcut to surprising people. Right. You know, there's there's a million Southern comedians that are just fucking brilliant. Mm. And, you know, for better or worse, the assumption about Southern people is that everybody from the South is a dumbass, you know, hick, you know, Republican. Mm. And so it is a very easy way to disarm people, first of all. Um, you know, I when I and you can see pictures of this when I first started doing stand up. I would wear like a suit. Like I was like in some Paul F. Tompkins shit where I was yeah. like, oh, I'll wear a suit. I'll be a fucking, I had my glasses, stuff like that. Mm. And realized pretty quickly that like, if you come out dressed like that, people are going to have a certain like assumption. it was like, mm. where it's like, oh, and then it almost feels like you're kind of talking down to people. So if you look at me now, I dress like an asshole. Like yeah. I just a fucking, like I just rolled out of bed kind of a thing because mm. again, it's a way to like, disarm people and i think if i had a, a heavier southern accent i could have a quicker path to that truthfully yeah um but uh yeah i mean i think that's the that's the easy answer is you can just sort of 
you know, you, like I said, disarm people mm-hmm. up front uh, and then also kind of surprise them pretty mm-hmm. easily. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, people, there's, there's so many, there's so many great like Southern comedians, especially now, you yeah. know, like if you go to Atlanta, for instance, mm. that is every time I ever go to Atlanta, I will invariably roll up and just be like, all right, here we go. And then I watch a couple of like acts and I'm just like, oh man, everybody here's really good, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and so I think that, you know, I think that would surprise people probably. But then getting to the kind of how you came up I asked people what's your earliest memory of liking stand-up oh easy George Carlin class clown my father mm-hmm. is from he's from Staten Island mm-hmm. and was had Catholicism beaten into him until he moved to Alabama in fifth grade mm-hmm. so from ages zero to whatever that is 11 whenever you're in fifth grade he had the Catholic school thing and he's he's one of five kids and so every kid in the family also went through it mm-hmm. and so him and his older brother, my uncle Jim, we would, uh, my grandparents lived on a, they moved from Staten Island to a farm, uh, in Randolph County, Alabama. So my dad went from New York city, biggest city in America yeah. to a town of less than 200 people. Wow, um, yeah. and so for him, you know, he's in fifth grade, so it's not a crazy adjustment cause you're a child. What do you know? Like mm. when I asked my dad about it, he was just like, Oh, I don't know. I just liked that. I could get Dr. Pepper whenever I wanted because yeah. <laughs> in the seventies, it was only down here or down there rather. Mm. And, um, but his, uh, his brother is slightly older. They love George Carlin because that was their truth. Man was Catholicism in New York city fucking with your head as a kid. Mm. And so as a child, my, you know, we'd go to my grandparents' house in Randolph County. And as soon as my grandparents were in bed, I'd be the room that I always stayed in. I always like had a little mattress on the floor in the living room, which is where the record player was. And so, whether I wanted to or not, my uncle Jim and my dad would go in there and drink a bunch of beer and put on class clown. Mm-hmm. So like, I didn't understand most of it, but I definitely understood the seven dirty words you can't say on TV. Yeah. And I really liked when he starts singing about Muhammad Ali for some reason, like Muhammad Ali, Muhammad Ali. It just sounds good. Doesn't it? Muhammad Ali. Uh-huh. And I remember that. Um, but yeah, that was the one. And I just remember, God, my, you know, my, my uncle and my dad just cracking up and just being like, this is, this is the greatest thing I've ever heard, you know. Yeah, they love that guy. So that that was the earliest. He had kind of sure. a mythical status in my mind too. Hearing my my dad and like other older people talk about him because uh, in Wisconsin we had Summerfest, the music festival, mm-hmm. uh, it's like two weeks every summer, and they there's a comedy stage and George Carlin, I believe, at Summerfest Whoa. got arrested uh, for it's like our. I think that at that time it'd be obscenity charges. Yeah, is or? that is that the one where he, that's not the one where he got arrested with Lenny Bruce. It was where he got arrested mm-hmm. on his own. I think uh, so. That rules. Yeah, there was one famously where Lenny Bruce was getting arrested for that shit, and George Carlin was like came up to the cops, is like, "You piece of shit, motherfucker! If you're taking him away, you got to take me too." And they're like, "All right," and they fucking they did. Yeah, he got arrested with Lenny Bruce, and he was like, "It was great because it was a great opportunity to be in the back of a paddy wagon with a genius." Yeah, so I could pick his brain <laughs> while we were on the way to jail. So yeah. that's a real dude, man. He's <laughs> he's. I just uh, don't know what happened to. Is that still a possibility in the United States that you can be? arrested 
for such a thing. It's I mean, probably still on the books in a lot of places, yeah. although it's one of them, you know, like many it's easy laws. easy to throw out because it's yeah. freedom of speech. Or, yeah. Right, right. Yeah, it's a, it's a thing that wouldn't stand up in court. It's a thing mm-hmm. you can do to just fuck with somebody, like, say, you know, pulling someone over for having an air freshener on the, uh, yeah. <laughs> on the window, you know, that kind of thing, where it's like, oh, it's an excuse to, you know, tamp, someone. Yeah. tamp down dissent or just fuck with somebody you don't like right so i i don't think that yeah it's a it would it would fall over in a court of law but mm-hmm. it's you know you still have to go to jail right for that night so then so growing up hearing comedy records then when did that start to i i kind of differentiate this is kind of like how people do with their music too like a lot of people go through like their classic rock phase because they're listening yep. to like their parents music or whatever and then when did you start to get into like the comics that are like your comics when did you start to yeah. like it yourself uh high school mm-hmm. yeah so as long as in high school i mean I've, i remember very specifically my friend matt messaging me and being like have you ever heard of bill hicks wow. and i was like i'm not really into blue collar comedy because <laughs> i thought it was a name <laughs> like he's like some like hick right, like yeah. hey like one of them guys it's like a larry the cable guy affiliate i man. literally that's what i thought right you know and hicks had been you know dead for 10 years at that yeah. point i had no idea who he was i just assumed that with a name like bill hicks he was mm. some redneck fucking guy and he was like no he's this dead comedian from texas and it was almost like it was almost like you know kurt cobain or something like a guy who died before you had any memory of him and then you're like yeah. discovering it. you're like oh my god you know and i mm. you know i nowadays you know it, you know it's kind of cliche but i mean shit bill hicks you're just like wow, this is, this guy's, this guy's saying some stuff, man. And yeah. when you're in high school, you never heard any shit like that ever, you know, Just never heard again. And then the Midwest, some similarities with the South, if you're in a rural area, like whatever it is, I feel some affinity to what you're saying. Like you've never heard anything like that, especially the level of dissent. Yes. Um, but then I, you said so you said you got you got a text from someone said have you heard of Bill Hicks? Yeah, it so was that, a, it wasn't a text. Then this will this will tell your listeners. I'm trying to figure out the time. Yeah, exactly what year it was. It was an AOL instant message. <laughs> so that's uh, yeah, probably o two o three. Okay, something like that. We were definitely in high school, and yeah, YouTube and I, doesn't exist yet. I think YouTube does not exist. So how are you getting to Bill Hicks then? Uh, Soul Seek, which was <laughs> the uh, funny enough the uh, the successor to. Napster, Kaza, or I think it went Napster, Morpheus, LimeWire, Kaza, SoulSeek. Uh, So it was a peer-to-peer sharing service. That, and, uh, you know, if anybody in the record industry is listening, I'm sorry, I still use SoulSeek. It's still up online. Mm -hmm. You can find fucking anything. It's great. Um, But yeah, I would type into SoulSeek, and then that just led me down the path. Yeah, which is, it's funny, because that is how I've always, like, gotten into music as well. Like, I'll hear something I like, and then my first inclination is not to listen to more of that stuff. It's like, I like this. What? Who are they stealing from? Okay. And then you kind of go, yeah, you go yeah. backwards and hear it with comedy. It's kind of the opposite. You're like, okay, this is the influential guy, Carlin Hicks, whoever. Mm. What's happening now? And that led to David Cross. Like, oh, okay. you know, who I was already familiar with because of Mr. Show. Like we, we had, that was right when they started, you know, season DVDs were getting real big. Yep. And so that was one of those that every you know, all my, you know, friends had those Mr. Show DVDs. So mm-hmm. I was familiar with him through that. Obviously, Scary Movie 2, very influential. Right. Uh, <laughs> so I knew who he was, but then somebody was like, no, he's a he's a stand-up comic. Mm-hmm. Like, you should hear, he has a record called Shut Up, You Fucking Baby. Yeah. I was like, I'm in, whatever this is. And it was very similar to the Bill Hicks thing where you're just like, mm-hmm. and the fact that he's from Atlanta, you know, or well, he has that line, he's like, I moved from 
Boston to Atlanta. So out of one frying pan and into the other frying pan. Uh-huh. Uh, but uh, yeah, and just listening to it, you're just like, man, this is, and especially growing up, you know, we're talking like Iraq war era. Right. And I was, you know, I was out there standing at Tumor's Corner with the Unitarian Church on Friday nights, mm. protesting the Iraq war in high school and stuff like that. I got to yell at uh, George W. Bush's limo as it drove by because uh-huh. he came to Auburn to give a speech and uh, to uh, try to get uh, Mike Rogers elected, which he did. Mm. Uh, and uh, we were all gathered there. I tell us I started actually this is one of the last jokes I was like trying to hammer down right before the pandemic was like a real story mm-hmm. where we, he was at the baseball stadium on campus at Auburn, giving the speech, George Bush. And there was a guy selling buttons and he had like a sandwich board that he was wearing that just had a million Bush Cheney 04 buttons on it. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so he's, he's selling the buttons. Then everybody goes into the baseball stadium and because it's the president, they have to do extra security. So they lock the stadium down. And after the speech is over, they have to let Bush leave so we're standing on one end of the parking lot and Bush's motorcade comes by and we're all like middle fingers up. Fuck mm. you. No blood for oil and shit like that. And then they open the doors and let everybody out at that exact moment when the doors are about to open. The guy with the sandwich board starts running towards the doors uh, to get to the crowds as they're coming out to sell oh, more of okay. these buttons. Uh-huh. But the sheriff's office just sees a man running towards President President Bush's limo. (laughs) And so they tackle the guy, his buttons and the board, the sandwich board goes everywhere and they drag him away at the exact moment when the the doors open Mm. and everybody starts pouring out of the stadium just going oh wow man that guy that's that's my president man oh hey free button cool and they just start taking them and they have no idea that a man was just swept away to guantanamo bay yeah (laughs) there's a there's a man in uh in cuba right now that's uh, missing about a hundred buttons so there's kind of a Maybe I'm just hammering it on the head. I feel like, did you have some affinity then to learning about Bill Hicks, um, David Cross, growing up in the South, not being from there, but this South theme, I feel like, is strong for you? Yeah, I think so. I mean, if you're just there and you're like, because both my parents are very, you know, liberal MSNBC type people, Mm -hmm. you know, and, uh, you know, and so it it is weird. I I grew up with no religion at all. Uh Uh, Like my mom, you know, my line is I briefly flirted with Methodism in the late 90s uh, Uh because the Methodist church on uh, Sunday night had MYF Methodist Youth Foundation Mm. where they gave out free uh, chicken fingers and honey mustard and then they also had like four n64s and they projected golden eye on the Whoa. walls and i'm like dude i would do that now yeah <laughs> i will listen to any bullshit you got to say for fried chicken and golden eye get mm. out of here you know so i i did that and and my mom was always just like oh, i don't care whatever like it was a true agnostic upbringing it wasn't like they tried to hammer any they were just like oh, we don't we like mm. to we don't care <laughs> We got shit to do on Sunday mornings. This does, is not our thing. Does having that kind of uh, like the lack of religion, the politics sounds like your parents and then you were kind of developing in high school. Does that get you like ostracized, bullied or is Auburn kind of has a mix because of the college? Job? Yeah, I think it's a the, good. Yeah, it's a good mix because um, I went to like Auburn. Their city schools are consistently ranked in the top mm. like, you know, 50 nationwide um so it's an extreme like to the point where when i got to college i was literally like is this fucking it like high school was so much harder you know Mm. but for that reason their their public school system is very strong and so every professor that moves to town to teach at the university they put their kids in the public school Mm. because it's it's more 
prestigious than the private school, which was, uh, it's called Lee Scott Academy. That's mm. the private school. It was founded in 1971. You want to guess what year Auburn integrated? 72? 70. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, mm. uh, kind of tell you everything you know about that. But, mm. um, uh, yeah, so, you know, but anyway, the point is, like I said, very cosmopolitan as mm-hmm. far as diversity of uh, of students and stuff like that and people I hung out with and everything so it wasn't as wildly conservative as you would imagine but those those kids are there you know we yeah. had we had fake rednecks we had guys whose parents owned like large companies and you know mm. businesses throughout the town and then they would show up at school wearing like confederate cotton t-shirts that was a big thing yeah where it would have like the confederate Whoa. flag and some cotton and then on the back like a mansion it was like some you know some old south kind of bullshit um and they would wear like jeans and cowboy hats and stuff and i'm like you live in the nicest neighborhood in town that's you're not thing, a shit kicker that's the thing i was saying about uh the start of the pandemic when there'd be these big rallies like anti-mask rallies and stuff and you knew they were astroturf because the people in them had the nicest pickup trucks. The trucks. Yeah. The trucks, and it's man. like people from like middle of the country, the South, people from like working class areas, they know that, that oh, yeah. that truck costs like seventy thousand dollars. Yeah. Yeah. That truck is as much as a fucking benzo. Like yeah. it's you know, you're not fooling anybody. Mm. Um but uh yeah, those those people were definitely there. And I definitely got it because I, you know, I was in, you know, took debate classes and stuff like that. So, you know, you end up arguing with these fucking people. Mm. Um, which I very much enjoyed. Uh I I cause I grew up in a very conservative household. I myself was conservative, but you're just kind of like parroting back what sure, you yeah. hear and then but then i started to hear comics like david cross and especially iraq war area start to question things so i would have like comedy central like real low volume kind of yeah, thing and like switch yeah. back and forth the way people do with like porn but i yeah yeah that was i mean that i think for people in our age range that mm. war is the that is the the thing that it's the reason so many people our age will never be able to bring themselves to be like donald trump was worse than george bush because you just watch this like yeah i was 14 and I, I knew it was going to happen. I was like, I'm a dumbass kid. How am I, how do I know that this is a fucking terrible idea? And you would just mm. get so like frustrated. I remember being in art class with some guy who was like all about it. I'm just like, you're a fucking monster, dude. What are you talking about? This mm-hmm. is obviously bullshit. Um, so I was a very, you know, pissed off little kid. And yeah, I found that and it was like, all right, this is this guy fucking this guy gets it. It's so funny to listen to Shut Up You Fucking Baby nowadays because it is loose, man. Yeah. It's a double album. <laughs> it is loose as fuck. Like yeah. now having heard a lot of comedians and that's not a criticism. That is that guy's style. Mm. But you're just like, God damn, man, this is this is like, a, you know, this is a freight train with all the screws undone. You're just fucking mm. <laughs> it could just come off the tracks at any moment. I kind of wonder then what how soon is it then you find like Patton Oswalt or like comedians of comedy. That's yeah. the that's the next the next one. Mm. And I should say also, when you know, in, in middle school, I was also loved killing them softly and bigger and blacker. Chris mm-hmm. Rock and Dave Chappelle. Those were those were my my intermediary where I wasn't like a comedy nerd yet. I was just like, these dudes are fucking monsters. Yeah. Like it's their un- undeniable kind of thing. Um, you know, the 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 uh, the the, ba- the crack baby on the corner, mm-hmm. you know, that bit where you're just like, oh, this guy's a fucking genius. But mm-hmm. um but yeah, no, I found Patton Oswald. I found, I remember it was the summer in between my so, uh, senior year of high school and freshman year of college. And that is when I kind of really got into being a fucking comedy nerd because at one point, if you listen, because I, you know, Feeling Kind of Patton is the record that came out, mm. but then he released a subsequent 
double album called 222. Which I, I had never heard of until you texted me about it. It's and incredible. I It's what made me finally try my like three three free months on Apple Music. Cause, and now I, I haven't heard it yet. I'm going to listen to it. But I was like, it only exists there for me right now. So, oh, well, I got it on SoulSeek, baby. I can just email it to you. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's a, it's the, the tracks are not cut up. It is two mm. just long tracks of just the two shows, I guess, that he did mm-hmm. to put that album together. And so it's all, you know, that's obviously they've been they've been cut enough to where it's different material on both on both tracks and stuff. But it's mm. long as hell. And in one of the one of the parts of it, he talks because he recorded it in Athens, Georgia at the 40 watt, which is a venue I went to a million times to mm. see the drive by truckers and of Montreal and all my fun Athens bands. Um, and he actually says, you know, he's like, I love this place. And then he's like, I'm going to come back with. And then he just lists a bunch of comedians that I'd never heard of. Mm. And it was he was like, oh, I might come back with Eugene Merman and Zach Galifianakis. And, and I was like, who, who, what, mm. who? And it literally just like opened up this whole like and that's that's where I was like, oh, all alt comedy, mid mid aughts, all comedy. Here it is. Yeah. Like he just laid it out. You know, there's that moment in uh, Comedians of Comedy where they're at a uh, at the in the documentary where they're at a radio station and the radio station host asks like uh, who are some comics people haven't heard of yeah and they go through a list like that like jen kirkman jackie cation yeah yeah and then i'm just like that in my high school brain is kind of like writing those names down yes yeah 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 and it's uh, that kind of stuff it's like it feels because i've done it too like when i meet people and you tell them you're a comic they're like oh who's your favorite comedian and i always go well do you want someone you've heard of or do you want my favorite because <laughs> those yeah. are going to be very different uh-huh you know uh, cause heard of, it's going to be what I just listed to you, but it's mm-hmm. like people you've never heard of. It's like, here's people that are working their ass off in, in LA and all over the country that are mm-hmm. pretty much, you know, kind of relegated to obscurity for the moment. But at any moment, these are the people who it would not surprise me that they would be the biggest star in the world at right. some point, you know, and there's so many of those. Um, but so uh, when do you, when do you start to feel that you're going to try it, that you can do it? Well, so with the radio station, we, we were such a pirate operation that I was working as the, uh, I guess I was the automation director at that point because we had just gotten a new automation system. So it was up to me to, pl- you know, to upload all the songs. And we even had, the, this was a really cool technology at the time. We could put a marker when the lyrics began. All right. So I could play a song and it's like, it's the intro. And in the intro is 10 seconds. So you got mm-hmm. 10, nine to be like, right now, this is Dr. Dog with Heart at Races. Please give us call 844-9345. And then the, the lyrics start, Yeah. you know, that kind of thing. So that was my job was to load all that stuff. So that radio station, a 3000 watt radio station that broadcasted to six counties was my personal iTunes because I also <laughs> had access to a, to a shared screen thing. So I could just get on my laptop and program an hour. If there was no one on there, I could be like, Ooh, I want this and this and this. So I would just make playlists and just play them from mm. my house. So it was dope. Around that time we got a letter or not a letter, an email from the administration that was like, Hey, you guys are a nonprofit tax free radio station and you do not have a news program. So technically this is an illegal operation oh. <laughs> because you have to prov- you have to demonstrate that you're providing a community service uh-huh. uh, by doing weather which we did every hour 
but also you have to do news. And mm. so my friend Tasnia, who is, uh, she's brilliant. Uh, she's a doctor now, actually. She's she's actually helping people and stuff. Mm. Um, but at the time was, you know, pre, pre-med uh, student and was working at the station. We kind of got together and we're like, all right, let's do, let's do a news show. But like, you know, we're kids who gives a shit. Let's, let's talk about the top three stories. And then the rest of the hour will, it's, it's so funny because I've almost come all the way back around. I literally for the Corona diaries do exactly what I did then, which Uh was go find weird news from around the world. And then we would just make fun of it. Mm -hmm. And that was the thing. Tasney would read the copy and then be like, what do you think? I'm like, well, this guy, you know, he burned his house down with a flamethrower because he was trying to get rid of the wasps under the eaves, you know, (laughs) like stories like that. Yeah. And then we would take calls, you know, pissed off fucking good old boys and be like, you can't say that about John McCain. He's a war hero. You know, that Mm -hmm. kind of shit. Um, And uh, but that got me into that headspace of, of at least joke, you know, of having the confidence to do jokes. Even yeah. it was, it felt safe. Cause I'm, you know, I'm behind a microphone. My mm-hmm. good friend is in the room and that's it. So if I make her laugh, I'm like, okay, well that, that kind of works. Uh-huh. Um, and then we obviously had the feedback from people calling in, but that was what at least got me sort of thinking about, uh, you know, maybe not even necessarily stand up comedy, but radio. And really what killed it was everyone I knew who graduated before me from Weagle and got jobs in radio. They're selling ads. They're not on the air. Mm. It's not it's not a quick path to broadcasting. You have to work your way up mm-hmm. in those radio stations and it's a very precarious market, you know. Yeah. So I graduated in 2009 and in August of 09 and then I had an entire year where I just had no, you know, my my friend Jonathan and I who's a brilliant musician, he's based out of South Carolina too at the moment. Um but he, you know, we both love comedy and we both love movies and horror movies in particular. So we spent that whole year making like weird horror shorts that were mm. just very fun to do and kind of dumb. And, you know, I'm very proud of a lot of them. Um, but then it got to be the end of the year and a guy that I had worked with at WEGL, uh, Anthony Dinar, I think he still works uh, in the radio biz down in uh, East Alabama. Um, he started doing stand up and started doing sponsored by his actual commercial radio station they worked at tiger 93.9 they started sponsoring comedy shows around town with a bunch of birmingham comedians and uh that's where i met mario carreras uh and mario and uh, also kevin Socher, who is uh formerly of atlanta now based in brooklyn and kevin kevin is fucking hilarious and so is mario but those were the first two guys where I saw they were exactly my age and mm-hmm. they were just destroying. And it wasn't, and I'm going to say something similar about Kalkanane when we get to it, but it wasn't that like, it wasn't that I saw that and was like, I could do that because their jokes are lesser. It was more just like, I could do that because they're my same age and I kind of feel the same way. So if I uh-huh. work at it, I might be able to at least do something approaching mm. something as good as, you know, what Kevin and Mario were doing. Um, and, uh, yeah. And then, so Anthony, I just kind of asked him, I was like, I was like, Hey, could I ever like try out and do some time on one of those comedy shows? He was like, Oh yeah, yeah. Come in December. Mm. And that was the first time I did stand up. and, you know, for people listening in LA and New York and major markets and stuff like that, this will be infuriating, but, uh, they gave me 15 minutes. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> uh, when you didn't have 15 minutes. Fuck no. Yeah. I I had, you know, in hindsight, because I've still got the video. 
I've uh-huh. gone back because during the pandemic, me, me and Carter both were like pulling up old, you know, we were just sitting around bullshitting one night and he had an old video from when he first started. Mm. And I was like, dude, I got my first set, you know, <laughs> and we pulled it up and I was just like, uh, you know, it was, it was hard to watch, but it went well enough because the whole room is filled with people I know. That's yeah. the, the one advantage of being a townie in Auburn is you can, you can fill a room with, mm-hmm. with people, you know. So it went well enough to where I didn't completely embarrass myself and mm-hmm. i was like okay i'm gonna give this an, you know another go and another go and anthony was nice enough to just keep booking me every month so i'd get 15 minutes and i'd have a whole month to stress the fuck out about it yeah um and uh mossman at the time jonathan uh my buddy was doing was doing it too so it was kind of like uh you know well, well you know thelma and louise the shit and jump off the cliff you know <laughs> we're gonna <laughs> we're gonna do it so it was almost like a pact kind of a thing and uh he's uh he's since you know he I think he did basically did it that whole summer and then, you know, moved back to my original criticism of Auburn. He graduated and moved, you know? So I was like, all right, well that's, that's kind of it. Um, and then meanwhile, I'm still there. My collaborative partner is fucking gone and I'm just like, I guess I got to do it. And that's when I had that conversation at the bar where it was like, Uh, I don't know why people aren't coming in the bagel place at (laughs) at night. And that was that was where I kind of started running shows. And Mario, who I booked on the first show uh, for the next month, I asked him back and he was like, oh, is it cool if I uh, bring my friend Carter? And I was like, oh, yeah, man, whatever. And then Carter came down. And even then I was just like, man, this motherfucker is so goddamn funny. Mm. <laughs> so what year? What year is this? That was uh, January of 2012 is when I meet Carter, okay. I think. Yeah. Um, hmm. or maybe, maybe it was the December show in 2011, but that, that era winter, uh-huh. 2011, 2012, um, he came down for, a. Uh, I think it might've been the Christmas show actually. Cause I was dressed up like Santa for the first part of the show. Yeah. So. Okay. And yeah. Then this, this is when I moved to LA. So this, yeah, I, I, so let's see here. I like to, I don't have a good transition for this. I had asked you, what's your first memory of liking stand up? What do you think is the best place to see stand up? And that could be either the specific locale or the type of space or uh, like kind of feel the show like alt alt show versus club. Yeah, I I've gotten to this point and it happened pretty quickly because just via necessity of the fact that Auburn did not. And it's funny because they have a club now. Auburn has a comedy club. OK. And they have just booked. It's like straight like shane gillis and like all these oh, like wow. <laughs> recently people, uh, people canceled from other yeah, places. It, yeah you know whatever i'm not i'm not criticizing anybody you know dude mm-hmm. make your money but um at the time obviously no club yeah so if i was going to drive to an open mic i'd have to drive to birmingham or atlanta which is about two hours to either city mm-hmm. and uh so just via the nature of running my own show and having to kind of like learn on the fly I got this, you know, what I call the sickness, which is when you walk into a room and you figure out how you would do a show in there. Uh huh. <laughs> and it's just this automatic reaction that you have. Like when you go in a place, you're like, no, this wouldn't work, mm. you know, or, you know, and this happens in LA a lot where I'm in a place. I'm like, Hmm, do they have a comedy show here yet? Cause I could fucking do one, you know, yeah. that kind of thing. So it is like a weird, you know, brain disorder. Yeah. I have Sidebar: now. You were you were running one in L.A. You were running one in uh, Santa Monica Theater. Oh, I've got a yeah. I was oh my god yeah. I've run a bunch of shows in okay. L.A. The, the consistent one I run with my friend. I run ran. I don't know. Uh, we'll see. Uh, with my friend Neil Nanda, mm-hmm. uh, who was my first friend that I met in L.A. We we were on a show or not a show, but we were at a mic at the Silver Lake Lounge. Okay, and he got up on stage and he mentioned he's from Atlanta. I was like, dude, and we started. And that's mm. the cool thing about comedy is this: it's you know, it's an 
offline social network of the mm-hmm. of the most useful kind because somebody mentions like oh i'm from chicago i've i've never done stand-up in chicago but i can rattle off six people they probably know and it's just that instant connection oh, yeah. and and neil you know he was he was very cool like i you know i was like oh yeah you're from atlanta we started chatting and we know a bunch of the same people and uh he this was early on in the because west side comedy theater now is a pretty well regarded stand-up space um yeah. and they also do improv and sketch and all kinds of weird stuff um but at the time it was you know it wasn't there were still open slots for shows mm. and we had the friday show every other friday at eight o'clock and then eventually they gave us every friday at eight o'clock so that's been the biggest resource uh for performing for me because you get uh, it's more or less uh, especially after neil brennan uh, started doing Neil Brennan and friends there mm. that raised the profile of the club pretty significantly mm-hmm. around 2014 or so. And ever since then, unless it's like Christmas or Coachella, we're pretty much sold out. And that room mm. you're asking what's perfect space. That room's the perfect space because it holds 90 people. If it's jam packed, mm. it's small. I always, uh, you know, I would enjoy the challenge of being Kevin Hart and playing a football stadium. Yeah. But that is not an ideal comedy situation. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's awesome. You know, if you can do it, Hey, more power to you, but the ideal comedy situation. And I know this through trial and error is a small room where everyone can see the stage. That's crucial. <laughs> Got to be able to see it from wherever you are. You can't have built in booths that face backwards. Those mm, that's, yeah, that's awful. wasted space. Mm-hmm. Um, and the show, you want to land the plane at exactly 80 minutes. And if mm. it can be a little less, that's cool. Uh, if you've got some big headliner and a shitload of comics, make sure that headliner is on stage at 79 minutes. Because mm-hmm. people will give you a little extension in terms of their attention if you've got Ali Wong or Roy Wood Jr., you know, fucking somebody they've heard of on the show. Mm-hmm. Then they're like, okay, I was a little tired, but now I'm juiced for this person. Yeah. But other than that, buddy, you gotta, you gotta like know, you know, no one to fold them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's, that's the thing. And that was what I didn't know booking that show at the bagel when I started was I would, this show would go on for like three fucking hours. And as I said at the beginning, I'm a maniac and I'm like, why aren't you guys enjoying this? And it's like, cause most people aren't insane yeah. and they can only handle so much. And there's dollar beers and everyone is shit housed. Mm-hmm. So that's one of those where you're like, okay, start the show at eight. If you've got cheap beers, start it early. So people don't show up drunk, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and try to end that show right around 75, 80 minutes is what you want. Do you, um, do, you so. do anything, uh, online over the pandemic or did you forego that and just, you got the podcast? Oh yeah. And- no, I love zoom shows. I, okay. I got really into them because I learned immediately Mm. The first one I got booked on, my friend uh, Dahlia Malik uh, booked me on one, and it was very cool because there were people... She's so funny, yeah. I love... Oh, man, she's the best. Uh, Maybe I'll cut this, but off mic. I'm trying to get her on the show, but I have no way to message her. Oh, I'll send her a message for you. Um, She vouched for me. She definitely uh, zoom in, if nothing else. Um, But uh, yeah, she booked me on hers, and the cool thing about her show is that she's got friends in Britain and Turkey. Uh, There was a Turkish comedian. I was just like... I was like, this is dope this is not stand-up necessarily but this is cool whatever we're calling this i enjoy this because there's a guy it's five in the morning in london or whatever and he's just like hey good morning you know all right you know doing his shit i'm just like this is this is a whole other world man yeah um but i learned pretty quickly on that show watching other comedians try to do their act and it's 
it's so different that it, you know, it mm-hmm. doesn't, it doesn't quite translate. So I just immediately, as soon as I did it, Dahlia, when she runs the show, she does it with a co-host and I've now co-hosted a couple of times with her. And that's the, that's the best. That's the fucking best is be, be Andy Richter over there and hit him with one comment. And then you just look like a God and then you just get to sit back mm-hmm. like a lazy asshole. Um, but, um, I just watch people, you know, not do as well as they could because mm-hmm. they weren't addressing how fucking weird everything was in terms of the setup. And so I literally, every time I do a Zoom show, I tell the host up front, I'm like, I'm going to be talking to you the whole time. Yeah. So I literally just treat it like panel on a talk show. Uh huh. Cause I've got my, I've got a way to like lead someone into the thing I want to talk about mm-hmm. or be like, Oh, what have you been doing during this? You know? And I'll ask them some weird question and they'll, they'll talk about it for a second and be like, Oh, well, cause I saw this person do this thing and I can okay. kind of yeah. work into it. So I love the, I love the format. Uh, it is not the same thing as far mm. as the drug goes. <laughs> it's yeah. not stand up as drugs, you know, mm. as, as many people have said before me, it is, you are, you are, chasing a high mm. and zoom shows are just it's similar to a podcast it's like let's we're gonna live very much in this moment mm-hmm. and try to get out of this what we can uh which is what you know ironically after all of the you know after all the pandemic and doing all the podcasts and everything like that i've arrived at that's what i want to do on stage and it's like god people don't want to pay to see that but boy it's the most fun thing it's just yeah. here's a weird thing i thought about today yeah. just having it you know having it come out i think well a proof of concept is just like you have listeners to the podcast i feel like oh, yeah. i like to hear that but you got to find the like the comedy nerds that want to just hear them trying shit out and then yes yeah 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 so it's a it's a little bit of a different you know delicate line to uh to mm. walk and stuff like that but no i like the zoom shows you know there were people like complaining about them and i'm just like yeah you just don't do the thing you normally do just treat it as its own it's its own animal it's completely you know mm. it's completely different i mean the the end result you hope is the same to make people laugh but you know it's not like you're gonna get like uh, the supercharge of energy from the crowd or, you know, mm-hmm. just being able to, uh, you know, you're, you're not going to get the same reaction. So it's, so don't, so, you know, disabuse yourself of, uh, yeah. of the pressure to get that and just make it fun. Mm-hmm. You know, every, every, every good comic I know turned into a prop comedian on zoom shows. Yeah. <laughs> it just became show and tell hour and it was awesome. Yeah. Uh, my, my things f- in their apartment or yeah, or just like weird desk. things. They yeah. found like my, uh, two of the funniest people on the planet are Brandy Posey and Anna Valenzuela yeah. and they are roommates. Mm-hmm. And so they would hop on zoom shows together. Okay. So we were on a couple, uh, you know, with each other <laughs> and, the person who lived next door to them was a was a hoarder mm. and they had passed away right before the pandemic started not covid related just you know old yeah. and during the pandemic they had to send in like a crew to take all the stuff out of the hoarding house yeah you know so next to their house is just a pile of stuff from next door and they were just kind of like looking at it like ooh this is weird and kind of going through it <laughs> And either Anna or Brandy, I don't know who found it, but they found a, a handsaw like you would use to saw down a small tree. Yeah. But on the saw, someone had painted a landscape of a town next to a river. <laughs> that That's a thing in, in the like upper Midwest. Right. Like, I didn't know this. And yeah, so yeah. they had, you know, I think uh, I think Brandy was the one who pulled it out and she had this whole bit, you know, mm. about the, the weird handsaw and, mm. you know, stuff like that. And I was just like, I bet 
it's like a serial killer and he killed the whole town with a saw and he painted <laughs> on it because he's sorry like how George W. Bush paints soldiers yeah. that he killed so uh, but uh, yeah it's uh, yeah it's it, it became you know somebody who listens to our show they sent me a slide whistle <laughs> Because we got off on some riff about slide, you know, weird thing about slide whistles. And then the next day it was like Amazon package just showed up with Mm. like a really nice metal slide whistle that I just now have. So I always bring that on if I'm if I'm doing a co-hosting thing on a Zoom show, you know, it's funny to think that there's like orchestra grade slide whistles like it came with sheet music like it came with it was literally called i think it was called the great american slide whistle and it had like music you know and i kind of half-assed like just live on the show kind of half-assed figured out how to do freebird on it (laughs) because there's the point with the guitar you know because freebird's a tribute to Dwayne almonds they're trying to do his little bird noises and where he goes and so i could actually do it with the slide whistle if i leave here tomorrow would you still remember me and go back up oh so fun um but yeah i use that a lot yeah it just kind of turned into and like i said comedians i i think are fucking brilliant on stage i was like wow we're just doing we're doing carrot top right now like this is (laughs) this is literally show and tell with gallagher up in this motherfucker Mm. so but i I can't speak for the other people who are would go to more like comedy clubs and things but for me it was it kind of added another level of what i think podcasts give you which is if you like a comic and you find like episodes of podcasts with them you get to hear more about their life it's exactly. kind of their worldview and stuff now you get to see some of it um maybe it wasn't as glamorous as like people thought or something but the pandemic kind of just opened i think everything up it'd be weird to see if people kind of close back up oh but- it, may, it just made everybody have to do to hilarious degrees of success, mm. everything, uh-huh. you know, and that's not throwing shade. It's literally just like some people you're like, you don't, you don't have to do TikTok. You know, yeah. <laughs> some people are really good at it. You're not one of them. Please stop. Yeah. That definitely happened a couple of times where I'm just like, oh man, I know, I know it sucks that you can't get on stage, but you have to think of something else mm. to do. Uh, when, so. when you could get on stage more, um, and you will see like how that comes back and when it comes back exactly. But what kind of show was a home game for you and what kind of show was an away game? Oh, unnecessary evil is my home game. That's the Friday night West side. Cause it's every week, mm. you know, and that one, it's funny cause it's a home game that I didn't always do the best at, mm-hmm. especially before I got a real hold on the Santa Monica audience. Cause for people listening, if you've never been to LA, LA is unbelievably fucking huge and there's every single strata of society here and Santa Monica is right next to the beach mm. and so it's a it's a fairly more wealthy kind of crowd mm-hmm. so it's one of those places where you go up and you start bitching about your roommate they're just like what's a roommate yeah you know <laughs> oh I think I had one of those at Dartmouth you know yeah. it's, it's those kind of fucking people you know I've had I'll say this I've had shows at West Side Comedy Theater on a Friday night that were like bernie mac burn the room down like (laughs) i am a comedy god like i it's nba jam and i am on fire Mm -hmm. and then i have had sets where i was like i should move home and quit forever (laughs) like it's that wide of diverse and and Mm -hmm. i i feel like man right up to the damn pandemic i was just within those last couple of years getting to a point where i was like all right i know this audience i know you kind of have to shit on them a little bit yeah like not a lot but like you know if they don't Oh, where are my manners? I'm on oh, silent. Right. Put it on silent. <laughs> um, but yeah, you kind of have to just, 
you're like, all right, I'm, I know these things kind of work. I'm going to throw this one out there. And if they like that, it's like this weird Rube Goldberg machine you build in your mind where like, all right, this is the, this is the lure that I'm going to cast out. But I got that little floater. If I see the floater go underneath, that means I could pull it back and try to hook oh, okay. the fish. If that floater doesn't go underneath, I got to change my lure. You know, it's that kind of approach where you're just like, okay, this thing is a canary in the coal mine for the next thing I want to do. Mm. And if that doesn't work, I got to, you know, so it's a, it's a home game that I overthought every time because I live in East Hollywood. So I always had a, with LA, you know, pre-pandemic traffic, 45 minute drive down there. So I had a lot of time yeah. to think about what, what I was going to do and stuff like that. And I actually came up and, you know, because I, I only really work well under stress. I would mm. figure out jokes on that drive a lot of times, but that's, that's the, that's the home game for me. That's the one where it's, it's not that it's low pressure. It's just that it's, it's every week. So it's like if mm. this, if I whiff this one, it's like, well, all right, I can, I can come back next week and I'll, I'll try to try to be better. Mm. And then the, the, uh, what kind of show is like an away game where you're kind of dreading it or no, you got to pull out more of the stops and, Oh man, I don't know. I really, I really do try, even if it's, I mean, the answer is open mics, honestly, uh -huh. like that, that kind of vibe where it's just like medium engagement. Most of the people in here don't give a shit. Mm. If anything, you're bothering people, <laughs> you know, that's, I guess the one is when you're, if it's like an open mic situation and you can tell like everyone in this room did not come here for this. They came here with their own agenda. Mm. It's not like, it's why if you, do, anybody listening, if you want to do a show, do the Fugazi thing, charge five bucks because yeah. it's not a lot of money and it's, it makes people invest in their minds to where they will actually sit down and shut the fuck up. Cause it's like, well, I paid something to get in here kind mm. of thing. Um, but uh oh so you're saying like at least five dollars something cheap not free or three dollars yeah yeah one dollar like literally any level of engagement yeah. that you can get from the crowd that they know like okay this is a sh this is a performance i'm not going to a mm. bar to party but yeah you know the away game is the shitty bar show okay the away game is mm, i mean i don't it's weird that I'm like hesitant to like throw shade, but uh, whatever, whatever thing you're thinking of may, probably doesn't exist anymore. Or oh, yeah. it will definitely come back. Yeah. This is an un, this is a Twinkies and cockroaches type situation. Oh. The, even a nuclear apocalypse cannot kill the Universal Bar and Grill oh. in, nor, in North Hollywood. It <laughs> yeah. is directly across the street from a Toyota dealership. It's on the LA River, mm. so it's literally next to a big concrete drainage ditch. Yeah. Like it is just the most bleak place and and i will say the hang at universal bar and grill is fun sometimes mm. uh i haven't done shows there in years but when i first moved to la i have a buddy named ryan talmo who used to book a show called the night of 100 comics oh and he would give five minutes to over 100 people it always ended up being like 150 like it was crazy mm. and the show would start at 6 p.m and would go till 3 a.m uh-huh and it was just this crazy slog and it was always fun and if ryan's listening i would 100 percent do it again i always had a good time mm. except when it was like hey you're up in two and you're just like oh man i gotta do stand-up i was having so much fun hanging out with 100 people i know yeah like it was always just a big party and you're just like yeah and you just feel like you're walking the fucking plank mm -hmm. and you're just like yeah oh, man i just can't like i had man when i first started here i had like a i had a weird bit i would do if no one was listening uh mm. that i always was just like if i can i'll just launch into this and see what happens 
because I, I saw a thing. This is 2013 or so. They, there used to be a venue uh, that was a comedian's living room. Right. He own, or didn't own, but he rented a storefront apartment. It's the weirdest thing ever. Yeah. So it's an apartment, but it's got a storefront. And then he would just move all the shit out of his living room and have shows in the living room. Okay. And it was like a, you know, it was a fun hang. Is it the one I'm thinking of that like it was called like comedy living room or something like no, that? No, 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 no. That That's a newer one. This one was, this mm. one was hilariously called Danger Fields 3. Okay. <laughs> uh, because there's the famous Danger Fields in New York. Okay. Uh, which I think just closed down during the pandemic actually. But, mm. uh, and then this guy had a, he had another venue at a warehouse that he hilariously called Danger Fields 2, even though they are not affiliated in any way. Mm. And then they got kicked out of the warehouse. So the living room became Danger Fields 3. And we were there one night and there was a guy who told this horrible story. Mm. And it was like one of the most like heartbreaking stories about how his dad died of pancreatic cancer mm-hmm. and he just had to watch his father waste away. And, and it was awful and there was nothing funny about it. Yeah. This it, was just it his was venting. Just, of that. It wasn't <laughs> even venting. It was like well thought out. It was just a sad, you know, it was Emotional like, terrorism. it was stand up yeah. drama. Okay. It was just awful. Mm. But on his left hand, he had a silly puppet. Oh. <laughs> that he held there the whole time and never acknowledged. <laughs> so it was this thing of like, I was laughing so fucking hard. <laughs> Like my friend Brody Reed was sitting next to me and he literally like hit me. He was like, stop. And I'm like, but he's got the puppet. Like, I, cause I just was like, he's obviously worked through this. Like this is the bit. I was like, this is so funny yeah. of just to have just the, the dumbest thing ever happening next to the most serious thing ever. Mm. So I just came up with this thing. Cause this was right when this was right when the, you know, the, the Twitter like hashtag pun kind of games were going on. Okay. And there was one that I ended up because I didn't have a job at the time. This is right when I moved to LA. I sat there and just did so fucking stupid. I did comedian. Uh, the, the the hashtag game was uh, comedian foods. Mm. And so I came up with like, you know, George Carlintel soup, you know, that kind of <laughs> shit. And I just sat there for like six hours and didn't look for a job and just did that instead. Right. And then I saw the guy with the puppet. And so I started doing this thing where if no one was listening, I would basically just go up there and be like, and I should say, I don't have a brother. I'm an only child. If you can't tell. Um, (laughs) and, but I would walk up and I go, uh, my brother killed himself today. And that would like, if the room would just like fall mute Mm -hmm. and then I would just talk about, you know, I was like, he always, you know, even though I was the older brother, he always stuck up for me, you know, like Mm -hmm. that kind of thing. And I would just go into this horrible story and then I'd be like, I'm going to talk about something else. Um, there was a hashtag game on Twitter today. It was a comedian foods where you take the name of a comedian and mix it with the name of a food. It's not funny. It's not funny. Um, my my brother had a kid, man. And the kid doesn't, doesn't have a dad. And Dave Shapaya. <laughs> <laughs> like I and then then it it works sometimes. It didn't work every time. A lot of times where people were just like, "This guy's too weird." But I one of my biggest successes in comedy was like that 
killed at the flappers bar show yeah. at like two in the morning for like the 10 <laughs> people that were still there it was just like one of the best sets ever and it was like i was like oh shit this is working mm. and that was that was my that was my secret gun if uh if a bad bar show was happening i'd just be like man fuck this i'm gonna mm. do my weird <laughs> i'm gonna do my weird uh my brother died bit mm. um and i would do that for the whole set you know have have you ever seen a depiction a fictional depiction of a uh, stand-up that you feel nails it. And then some people have kind of answered that sometimes it's not directly trying to be stand-up, but something that captures the feeling of uh, doing stand-up. The Joker. Yeah. <laughs> Has someone said that? Uh, yeah. Last week's guest, uh, Julian Fernandez, very funny comic. Was We talked yeah. about that a little bit. Yeah. That, honestly, it's the only one because I love the stand-up portion yeah. of funny people is fucking glorious and you're just Mm. like why what is this other thing that you frankensteined onto this story like get you know get the uh, get eric banna out of here i have no Mm. use for banna i just want more (laughs) of jonah hill doing dirty jokes like Mm. i just you know uh but i don't and that i mean i guess that's sort of a good depiction it definitely piqued my interest because i came out in like oh nine so within a year i was like pursuing it i guess but Mm. like yeah, that that open mic that the Joker does, mm-hmm. <laughs> and I didn't. I didn't even like. I didn't. That movie was like interesting to me because I was just like, it is the least fun I've ever had at like a superhero movie. Like, there's yeah. nothing fun in that whole movie. Like, it's not even like like because at least with like at least with like Heath Ledger's Joker, it's just like it's so crazy. You're like, man, this guy's fucking crazy, dude. With mm-hmm. this, you're just like, oh, this is sad the whole time. Uh-huh. And then he starts doing stand up, and you're just like, boy, that feels fucking. I know that guy. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if I'm that guy, but I've seen that guy where he's, you know, he's got his whole thing rehearsed mm. and you can tell he did it in the mirror a bunch of times. It happens out here. You can always like point out like a guy who you're like, that guy's an actor. Right. And he just wants some stage time. Cause he's really thought about it. He's placed pauses for laughter that will never come, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, that kind of thing. So I thought that was pretty good. I'm, I'm going to try, I'm trying to think, I mean, you know, there's the, um, Oh God! What's the Tom Hanks movie with him and Sally Field? Punchline. Punchline. Yeah, I did a they, did an episode about it. Oh really? Yeah. yeah where they uh, hilariously posit that comedians have lockers. Oh yeah. At, uh, we at talk com- about that. There's like a, a very busy locker room. There's like people kind of tuning yeah. tuning their slide whistles and that kind a of thing. Locker yeah. room. <laughs> I was like, God, I don't, I don't know if I'd ever, even if we had locker rooms, I would nasty, never go yeah. into one. I would, you know, I, I'm a, I'm a fat child and I would go into an NFL locker room before I go into a fucking comedian locker room. It'd be the most <laughs> depraved place in the entire world. Yeah. Um, like what if we got to hit the showers and shit mm-hmm. before we go on stage? Um, yeah, I'm trying to think. What are the? I mean, what are the other ones? What are other people talking about? I feel, I feel. Uh, I know. Uh, Funny people comes up. Uh, um. Jackie Cation talked about punchline. Yeah, it's yeah. Uh, it's like uh, it's it's kind of my experimental thing of just trying to figure out and like people never really feel that anything yeah. nails it. Yeah, I will say though, do you know Keith Carey? Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. He was on and he said something very interesting. Was that um, Whiplash? Feel that? <laughs> <laughs> oh man, I'd be inter- I gotta go back and listen to your Keith episode, man. He said uh, that feels the most like uh, you're basically killing yourself to do this thing that like not that many people find that important or serious. <laughs> That's a great way to put it. Oh yeah. my god, yeah, jazz drumming. It really 
That's so funny. Yeah, it is very niche. It's very, it's highly influential and yet very niche. Yeah. Because <laughs> there's a million rock drummers who are like, yeah, I was a jazz drummer, but it didn't pay anything. Like mm. fucking yeah, John Dinsmore from The Doors. That was his thing as he was a jazz drummer. And he was like, well, there's more money in rock and roll. So All I'll right. do that. More yeah. commercial. Yeah. Uh, I would say too, like, I really like Sam Talon's book, Running the Light. Um, I don't do comedy, so I don't know, but people have said it, you know, kind of captures hey man, it. But if they, if they make that into a movie, that will be my answer. I'm I sure. think that's the big, that's gotta be the biggest thing on his mind or people probably p- pitching it to him or I don't know like how the whole process works, but that's gotta be just sitting in there. Right? Oh, He's sure. make a big decision soon about that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I have to imagine funny people had to have been inspirational to fucking thousands of comedians that are, right. you know, my age. Cause that was, that hit it exactly. I was literally, that came out the year I graduated college and was like, mm-hmm. all right, what's the next thing? And I watched it. I was like, man, I didn't like that movie overall, but the, the standup part was great. Yeah. I had a similar thing. People have talked about exactly that. And then I think it, it comes at a time, right? When you get the podcasting boom, yep, you get yep. the kind of current or maybe it's a new thing now, but the comedy boom that we're, we're experiencing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Questions. I love yeah. that. It's just the big question mark. <laughs> Maybe it's, there'll be pre and post COVID booms, but, um, what was the last live comedy you saw before COVID? Or maybe I could ask you, what was the last show you did? Do you remember? March 8th, uh, March 8th, 2020. Um, it was unnecessary evil. It was at the West side comedy theater mm. and it was sold out. And we were sitting in the green room. It was like right when, I mean, it was that Friday and then everything kind of shut down that next week. Mm-hmm. And we were just kind of sitting there like, this is crazy that mm. people are here. <laughs> you uh-huh. know, like I just went and I was like, wow. Cause I've expected no one, no one to be there and we were packed. And I think I even said my first words out of the gate. I was just like, thank you for being here. I can't, this, this seems like it's, this is, this is probably the last time we're going to see each other for a long time. Yeah. And, um, yeah, I can actually pull it up. I could tell you who all is on the show. Uh, cause I don't recall, but I'm, Oh, Andy Erickson was on the show and oh, she's, nice. she's from Minnesota mm. and has she's, since she's relocated. Here, yeah. You know? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh my God. I love Andy. She's, mm-hmm. she, she's one of the first friends I made. She was visiting cause she was, she knew Neil somehow. And in 2012, mm. Me and her and Neil went to a bunch of open mics and stuff like that. And then, you know, obviously she got on like America's Got Talent or Last Comic Standing. And, mm-hmm. you know, she's she's just incredible. Um, but yeah, she was on that show. I mean, it was it was a fire show. I'm not going to lie. Uh, and then that was it. Yeah. And um, yeah. Yeah. So let's see. I can I can sh- I can just pull up the. Um, yeah. I'm going to grab some water while you do that. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. So. Uh, slight correction. It's March 6th, 2020 unnecessary evil. It was, uh, me and Andy Erickson, who I mentioned, Mm. uh, Becky Robinson, who is one of those, you know, one of those comics, like she's, she's been on MTV a lot and stuff like that. But it's one of those people like not, not everybody knows who the, uh, who she is, but you see Becky and you're just like, Oh my God, she's a, she's a, Mm. a, a, an explosion in a jar. Just like a fuck. She's a, she's a powerhouse. And she usually, a lot of times she'll come on as uh, she'll do characters and stuff like that. Mm. And uh, on this particular show, she was uh, her ski instructor uh, character, Susie chapstick. (laughs) Uh, where she comes out in ski pants uh, with a gigantic whiskey flask 
Uh, for listeners, it is indeed a giant whiskey flask. Yeah, I'll, te- I'll text it to you. You can throw it up on uh, Twitter or whatever. But uh, yeah, so we got, uh, yeah, Becky Robinson was on that show. Brad Wenzel, who uh, is a Michigan guy, mm. who's incredibly funny. He's done Conan a couple of times. Uh, Ian Lara, who is a comedian from New York, who I felt the worst for because he had flown in mm. from New York. I probably to do, you know, auditions and stuff like yeah. that and just was like, I don't know. I don't know what's next, man. I, I guess I have to get back on the plane. Like everything was, you know, mm-hmm. starting to shut down and stuff like that. Uh, Kira Sultanovich, who's also yeah, great. She's great. And uh, Matt Ritter. So that was, a, mm. that was a good ass show. I was, uh, I, you know, if there was, if there was one I was going to pick to go out on, I, I, I guess that's the best, best case scenario is a bunch mm-hmm. of people I'm friends with. And, you know, everybody did good. That was one of those weird things where at the end of the night, we all kind of like, we, you know, uh, West Side Comedy Theater is in an alley just mm-hmm. off of the Third Street Promenade, like behind the Apple store in Santa Monica. Okay. And so we all just kind of stood in the alley. And we're like, okay, well, I'm not going to shake your hand because they tell me yeah. not to. It had a very, a lot See of, ya. a lot of goodbyes and things. You kind of realize how important closure is, especially. Yeah. There's like a lot of uh, sociological research. There's psych psychologists talk about this. You need humans need closure. And I feel like there's still an open kind of people were in communities like that. Like you have that show going, there yeah. hasn't been a clear defining closure to things and it'll be similar where we just kind of kind of get back to some of the normal social stuff yeah yeah i think it's it's you know it's gonna reach a saturation point where enough people are vaccinated to where it's just like all right i'm i'm out let's do it you know i i (laughs) given my previous record i probably shouldn't make predictions but i imagine in the next like two to three months it should be more or less i don't know about the crowds is the thing i'm wondering about yeah comedy People, especially in this fucking city, mm. <laughs> you know, delusional uh, is an unlimited supply. So comedy is not going to end, but it's just a matter of if mm. people are going to be cool to gather in those spaces again. Because like I said, my favorite comedy venue is 80 to 90 people in a small room. That's yeah. the perfect What do you think thing. about the fact that we do have here the year-round resource of doing outdoor, even though it's right. not conducive? Well, that, that's what I was going to talk about. My my other shows that I've produced uh, mm-hmm. in LA almost exclusively have been outdoors. Uh-huh. Um, I ran a show for a while. So uh, one of the, uh, a couple of other Birmingham comedians who, uh, you know, we, me and Carter uh, performed with are uh, Wes Van Horn, uh, who is back in Birmingham now. And he's actually married to Kristen Rand, who is also... That their kids are going to be like the next, you know, uh, Adam Sandler, Chris Farley situation, uh-huh. because those are two of the funniest humans mm. I've ever met. And uh, they've they now have two kids. And I'm like, watch out for those kids, man. <laughs> in, uh-huh. in like 18 years, they're, they're going to be megastars. But they um, at the time, Wes moved out here, you know, single guy and him and Joe lived together in this house. Uh, Joe Rains, uh, who's a uh, done our show a bunch of times and is also a hilarious guy. Mm. They live together in MacArthur Park. And mm. for people listening that are not in LA, MacArthur Park is where you go to get heroin. That yeah. is it is a uh, sketchy, sketchy, sketchy. So much so that after the show was over, we would always all three of us would go back on stage and we'd go, Thank you everybody for coming. Feel free to hang out because it was a backyard show. Mm-hmm. So we'd be like, feel free to hang out until the beer's gone. Uh, but if you would like to uh, be walked to your car, form a line right there and we will be walking everyone to their car right. in five minutes. And they give this kind of speech at Dynasty Typewriter. Oh, uh, really? Yeah. Oh, that's Well, so depending on the show, I would go see Harmontown there and they would be like, 
but seriously, if you, you should walk together to your car. Yeah, and, yeah. No, we would offer that as because me, Joe, and Wes uh, at the time, you know, we we're all big guys. So it was like, yeah. yeah, I mean, you know, they'll they'll maybe they'll fuck with us less. We mm-hmm. can't run, but you know, maybe we could, you know, spear them like Goldberg or something. Yeah. <laughs> um, but so yeah, but it was point is it was in a like kind of a sketchy neighborhood and they had this this triplex mm-hmm. where there was a big apartment downstairs and then two apartments upstairs and they lived in one of the ones upstairs their next door neighbor was a tow truck driver named jesse who had a stalker uh so that was a persistent topic of conversation mm-hmm. uh this lady would show up at the house and just scream up to jesse's house jesse give me my clothes jesse <laughs> and would just yell at him and uh and it culminated one night because we would leave the gate open for people mm-hmm. to come into the show. The stalker showed up and one of my friends, like uh, James Fritz, hilarious comic. Uh, he was on the show and he went upstairs to use the bathroom and Jesse was on the ground with this woman on top of him, trying to kill him. What? And Jesse was like, call the cops, call the cops. And they had to break up this crazy fight. Cause this, you know, this lady's, you know, justifiably perhaps, but you know, yeah. not quite all there. You know, I'm not saying Jesse didn't do something terrible to her, uh, but that was the situation. Mm. And then downstairs, there were about 40 people living together in the big apartment. And I know that because every time we would pass by, uh, there was a small window uh, for their bathroom that you'd have to walk by to go to the backyard. And every time you'd walk by that window, no matter what time of day, someone was in the shower. So there was a <laughs> tremendous amount of fucking people in that one. And uh-huh. they had this big it's, I say backyard. It was a it was a parking lot. Like yeah. it looked like a like a tow lot, like a small you know mm-hmm. tow lot. And uh, and they had this weird. And I'll have to show you a picture of it. Um, they had this weird thing that was like attached to the wall in the back that looked like a shower stall. Okay. It was made out of concrete bricks, and it was raised up. And all of the lights that were like the floodlights outside mm. were all pointed at it for some reason. We didn't do this. So when you turn on the floodlights, three big overhead lights pointed directly at a slightly raised area against the wall. Okay. Like well, it was a stage. It's a stage. It was yeah. a stage. <laughs> and it looks so sketchy mm. and it was hilarious. And the three of us are from Alabama and our, you know, we all have worked in various capacities in the restaurant industry and stuff like that. And so the idea for the show, because for people listening, in order to get anybody to do any show in LA to to come there, you have to have some kind of gimmick because mm. LA is so oversaturated with live entertainment, mm-hmm. especially in 2014 when we started. It's like Okay, I could either go see uh, I could see Adam Sandler do stand up, or I could go watch The Roots at the Forum, or yeah. I could, you know, it's like that kind of thing. So you got to have a hook. That's the that's the thing that I tell people back home in Wisconsin is people ev- have no idea how everything much shit that to do. <laughs> everything every band you know, kind of you know, depending on the level they're at of their touring, but like every band you want to see. Oh yeah. You can see they're going to come to LA once a year. You can see everything, everything. And it's yeah. like, yeah. So, um, but yeah, we would, uh, so we, uh, but anyway, because we're all from, uh, we're all from Alabama and the, uh, the state bird of Alabama is a, uh, very small yellow woodpecker called a yellow hammer. Uh-huh. Uh, so we called the show because we had free beer yellow hammered, uh-huh. uh, and we would, I have like a big, in, like a gigantic, uh, turkey fryer that you would uh-huh. normally fry a turkey in on thanksgiving uh, but you could also do 
you know, fish and fries and chicken, stuff like that. So we would cook. And basically our, our thing was dinners at seven shows at eight. Mm. And so people would come and because, you know, growing up where I did, I don't give a shit about bars necessarily Uh unless they have a patio that I can sit on, Mm. you know, like an outdoor space because my least favorite thing in the world is in some place with like crazy loud music where you have to be like, so what do you do? You know, hate that shit. I like being able to talk. And uh, so we were like, we want to do like a backyard, you know, have like a Mm -hmm. Southern backyard vibes. We'll cook for the crowd and people would show up and it became like a, like a hang uh, amazingly. And, uh, so like, I'll show you, this is, this is the, uh, the little like stage area and you can, uh, do with this, uh, what you will, I'll send it to you. But like, here's, this is Jackie Cation at our, uh, at our, uh, show. Oh, nice. Uh, so it is like, it looks like a shower stall or something. Like it is beyond the weird. Thing that's, was there a drain in the bottom? No. Okay. So the thing that looks <laughs> scary is it looks like kind of from like a saw film. Oh, you have no idea. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of Kyle Clark, uh, there were human-sized cages in the basement of this place. Like, <laughs> I'm not fucking... You can see this because Kyle saw it. He did our first show. Uh-huh. And Joe was like, oh, wait till I show you this shit. And we went into the basement and there's... It's like cells down there. It's mm. so weird. Like standing like, height. Yeah like, yeah, like jail cells down okay. there. Uh, that are lockable. You can lock well, people okay, in. Okay, but the other thing they have out in LA is sometimes there's like storage for an apartment yeah. building has like the cages. That I, I feel a little better about that one. The kind of like <laughs> the weird shower that you can easily wash after all the blood is mm-hmm. the more upsetting thing. Yeah, yeah. see, now you're getting it. Yeah. Uh, we showed Kyle that with the cages and he immediately wrote a sketch and they filmed it down there with, uh, with Joe as the, the star and it's called the Randy Clyde Williams show. And it's Joe as a serial killer. And they got like a makeup artist to put like fucked up clown makeup on him and shit. And he's wearing uh, a kimono and he's got all these people in the whole thing is like, he captures people in order to put them on his late night mm. show. So he's like, you know, coming up next, I kidnapped a guy from vampire weekend. We're going to see what he can play, you know, that kind of thing. And they had, yeah. um, that Dan Mintz, I think, uh, mm. was on that one or uh, something. It was just hilarious. And, um, but yeah, we did that show and it became a hang. And it was so funny, the lineups that we had. Mm. And I'm not saying this to brag. I'm saying this that I am still in shock that, that they would it do would, that, Like that Baron Vaughn spot. would wow. just hit us up and be like, hey, can I get a spot on? Because yeah, it just turned into this like thing where we'd have 100. 200 sometimes like our mm. anniversary our one year anniversary show i think i counted like almost 200 people wow. at one point so it was just and this, this is a the back of a restaurant space in no, macarthur park the back of an no, apartment it's the back of an apartment yeah in macarthur park and we were also competing with uh spanish language churches that are in the storefronts oh, around yeah. there too so there would be like a guy you know screaming about you know cristo and stuff like that and yeah. it, that's bouncing off the walls and then we're telling dirty jokes and it just it was like a really fun but it's kind of the opposite of what i was talking about where like my ideal comedy situation is a Mm. small contained room with 80 to 90 people this was we're hosting a fucking party (laughs) and and it was also a lot that's why that's why with all the news of like comedy clubs like very established venues closing and things feel bad for those people people that work there they got the kitchen all that 
but I but as a comedy fan, I'm like I, that doesn't change anything, and it's gonna oh, it's going to birth very creative. Believe outdoor me, stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah, me me uh, me Carter and Joe are looking at our options to restart that show. Yeah, uh, at the moment. So hopefully hopefully by this summer we'll have a mm. we'll have a sweaty uh, fried chicken comedy show. <laughs> Amazing. Well, I, I I start with a bad one to get to a good one. What is your worst? stand-up related memory that you're comfortable sharing oh man uh i've i've told ah, man i've told this one before on other shows but i'll i'll tell it again because it's true and it and i have uh photographic evidence Mm -hmm. uh so uh the first time i ever got booked to do a festival uh of any kind i was six months into doing stand-up because you know alabama is hilarious and the festival is called Secret Stages, mm. and it's like a big like punk slash indie rock festival where they basically just take over a big portion of downtown Birmingham, and uh, and you know they got like fair food and you know it's like a it's a festival, and all of the bars that have stages will book these little bands, and so it was a good opportunity. It was the first time I ever saw actually one of my favorite bands ever now. Uh, they called Lee Baines and the Glory, uh, Lee Baines the Third and the Glory Fires. Hmm. Uh, they're a great uh, socialist punk rock band from Birmingham. Uh, oh, nice. They fucking rule. Um, but it was the first time I saw them. I was just like, damn, these guys are awesome. Um, but that was after this experience. So they had booked comedy as well. In mm-hmm. addition to all the you know punk bands and stuff, there was also a comedy stage that floated. So it was at a different venue every night. And the first night. The venue is called Steel. Uh, Birmingham is known as the Pittsburgh of the South. Right. They make a lot of steel there, so mm. it's. Uh, but it's also like a yuppie bar, I guess is the best way I could describe it. Mm-hmm. You know, kind of, uh, you know, gentrification central. And sweet potato fries. Yeah, that yeah. kind of sh- yeah. man. You know exactly what I'm yeah. talking. Yes. Uh, and again, this is now, like I said, when I walk into a new situation where I'm like, all right, how could I do a show in here? Mm. Were I to walk into Steel in 2021, I would say you cannot do a show here. Uh-huh. And that is where the show was. <laughs> uh, the reason you can't do a show there is because the the bar is shaped like an L. Mm-hmm. Uh, or not the bar. I should say the venue is shaped like an L. Mm-hmm. Um and if you make an L, uh, you know, on your forehead, as the as the poet uh, Steve Harwell says, yeah. <laughs> um, the li- your thumb is where the bar is. Okay. And there's a a right angle. Mm-hmm. And then there's a very long corridor. Right. Uh, so in this case, the stage would be at the very tip of your pointer finger. Okay. And the problem arises because everyone is at the bar getting drinks, which means that the sound from the bar is just whipping around the corner. Bouncing around that, that 90 degree angle. Bouncing around the L. And, yeah. and the people at the bar... Because the festival was kind of like a, I think the comedy stuff, it was all free. And then other places were charging Mm. covers and stuff like that. So there was a billion people at the bar. Yeah. And then in the actual area where the quote unquote show was happening, there was a smattering at Mm. best. But because you're on stage and this giant noise is coming around from the bar, Mm -hmm. you can't hear yourself. And that is the as I found out that night, because this was the first experience I'd had with such a thing that makes it very difficult Mm -hmm. to do comedy. Now having done a bunch of shows like this, where the noise level is 
it's insurmountable. Yeah. The trick to that is to find one person in the crowd and fucking try to get them mm. and keep your eyes on the actual people who are listening because a lot of comedians don't think about the fact that people are listening to you. Yeah. It's not everyone. There's a big din, uh, uh, you know, there's a giant noise mm. coming from the people who are not listening, but that does not mean that you can abandon the 16 people in front of you that are listening. Yeah. You, you know that at like a, like a, you're watching an opening band and people are kind of talking to each yeah. other and stuff, but you're like, yeah, I, I, I am one of those people that's trying to like nod and give them like, I'm listening. Exactly. Yeah. And if you abuse the people who are not listening to you, you're also doing it to the people who are. Yeah. And then the real secret is if you can get the 16 people who are listening to laugh at you, then the people Everybody in the back will sometimes shut up. Yeah. I've just passed doing 10 years of comedy. I mm. now know this. Okay. At this point, I'm six months in. Mm. And it's just pure fucking rage. I'm just like, listen to me, you know, that kind of thing. Mm. Or I just, it's just this, you know, and so I yelled at the, you know, I was basically like, shut the fuck up. Like, you know, mm. that kind of thing. Cause I didn't, you know, I didn't know. Cause if you are in that situation where you've just got a few people listening to you and most of them don't, it's not a good show. Yeah. But you at least accomplish in some measure the task that is at hand. Mm -hmm. you, you entertain a fraction of the crowd. At the end of it, you're like, ah, oh, that was bullshit. I hated that. Mm. But that is the mistake of like an early, when you're early into stand up, is just like trying to hit everybody with your bullshit. Yeah. You're like, man, most people, especially in this situation, they can't see you, mm -hmm. they're around a corner. All they know is that the music that they came to dance to or whatever has ceased. And now there is a fat white guy screaming in a, a corner like a maniac. You yeah. know? And so that show just felt bad. It made me feel terrible. Mm -hmm. And I didn't have the maturity of doing, you know, doing a lot of shows to deal with that, really. And I just fucking was mad. Brought the host back up. You know, mm -hmm. did my whatever it was, 10 minutes. It was terrible. I felt bad. I went out the door. The show's still going on. There was one more performer who's a friend of mine, but I didn't care. I was just like, man, I'm fucking pissed. I hate this. Mm -hmm. So I walk down, down uh, through whatever the street is there. And they have all this fair food uh, that they're selling, mm -hmm. like deep funnel cakes, deep fried fucking, you know, corn dogs, all that shit. Mm-hmm. And I'm just like, oh, man. And I see they have a chicken on a stick and it's a fucking two foot long stick that they've threaded a long cut of chicken onto and then deep fried. OK. And I was like, I've earned this. I'll get the chicken <laughs> on the stick. And so I got the chicken on the stick. And I don't know to this day, even though I'm, Auburn is two hours away from Birmingham, mm. I'm still not great with directions in Birmingham even though I've performed there than any other more than any other city besides Atlanta uh -huh. and LA I just don't know where the hell I am but mm. it's a festival so I'm like I'm gonna wander around and I somehow got turned around and I end up directly in front of the venue uh, oh. at the moment the show ends <laughs> and I am now holding in my hand the physical manifestation of my own failure in the form of a two foot long piece of fried chicken. <laughs> and there's like crumbs on my face and shit. And the whole bar just lets out and no one said anything to me, but they all saw me just standing there. Yeah. And they're like, Oh, you're the guy who sucks. Like, you know, I could see it in their eyes and I'm just like holding a sad shit. And I'm just like, this 
this feels terrible. The universe was like, no, no, no. You need to come back and end up and see what you did. Yeah. 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 And even in that moment, I knew I was like, this is some sort of low. So I did take a selfie of myself with the chicken. Yeah. And put it on Twitter. I was just like, failed miserably at a comedy show and everybody saw me eating two feet of chicken. Mm. Um, but uh, I mean, yeah, I wish I could come up with one that's worse. That's like just the worst I well, felt. Well, it's but. like when presented with the question, everybody says something different. Like they might have a bomb story. Some people have like something that went on there in their life and then like they happen to do a show or. Oh, know, yeah. It, it kind of takes on different forms, but it's usually yeah. a bomb story. Yeah. What, that was just a hard, a hard bomb and I didn't have. Because, you know, now I, w- I wish I could bring myself to care more when I eat shit. Uh-huh. But there's this thing that happens. I feel like, you know, when you're like three to four years in where you've done it enough to it's the, you know, this it's the this worked last night effect. Mm. And for better or worse, in your head, you're just like, I'm not wrong you're fucking wrong. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? Yeah. <laughs> like this, this shit works. It worked demonstrably last night, mm. but y'all aren't laughing. So y'all have something wrong with you, yeah. you know? which I don't think is necessarily a healthy attitude, but it is one that calcifies your brain at a certain point yeah. as a, as a comic. Cause you're just like, you're like, no, I can, I'm decent at this. I'm mm. better than what just happened here. <laughs> Yeah. You know, and you can just kind of move on. At least that's that's where I'm at. I I imagine there's probably people who that never happens where they're just like, oh, I'm a fucking idiot. And they're like hitting themselves in the head because you'll see those guys, mm. you know, especially in the open mic scene here where it's like, dude, I've once you've done L.A. open mics, that's like you're just like you have no expectations anymore yeah. for what's going to happen. You're just going to try your best. And I am one of those people that I treat every show like it's Madison Square Garden. Mm because it's the thing I hate most in comics is when they just fucking do this thing where like there are like, it's like what I was saying. Like if there's a bunch of people who aren't listening, but there are some mm-hmm. don't ruin their night. They're yeah. trying to be nice. You know, if, if everybody's fucking throwing tomatoes at you, then mm-hmm. that's one thing, but it's like, don't yell, shut the fuck up. Like I hate that. I yeah. hate that shit. I hate seeing it. Um, I go into every comedy situation trying to win in some way because uh-huh. I'm, I have this weird thing where I'm the most completely inept athletically. Mm. Like I'm not good at any sport, but I am very competitive Yeah, and not necessarily with other comics, but with the crowd where I'm just like, I'm going to fucking do this. It's not yeah. like every, sh- I mean, almost every book show I've ever been on everyone is funnier than me like you know mm. I still stand in awe of of comedians especially when it's somebody who's just a fucking machine mm-hmm. and you're just like well I can't do that so I just get to sit here and enjoy it mm. you know um but yeah I try to go in I go into every show I try to have the most positive attitude I can mm-hmm. and that does seem to work to some degree because people can feel that if you're you know, it's, it's a weird voodoo vibes thing where it's like, yeah. you know, people, they can, they can feel, they can feel what you're doing. And if somebody just comes out there and they're just like, well, this is going to suck. So let's plow through this. And you're just mm. like, boy, you're starting on the back foot there. Yeah, You're not even giving yourself a chance to win. As comics, I think what I kind of started to learn by talking more in depth about it with people is you're, you're playing in a, the very, primal psychology of people you're trying to surprise them yeah you're in a very 
uh, vibes focused arena to begin with. So everybody's picking up on everything. It's very like hypersensitive environment, I think. Yeah. Oh God. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. When it is all about, you know, and you can absolutely fall into the trap of think overthinking things way too much of just being like, man, if I just held that for one more beat, and then hit them with the other thing. This would have worked, mm. you know, and you can definitely get into that weird brain calculus of like when what, you're beating yourself up for like not quite getting the chemistry of so many different people, different experiences and their brains are all over the place now. But you think of like, I don't know, there must have been like a caveman that was like, I have an idea and we're going to move oh, our yeah. cave to the other one over there. And like everybody was like, I'm not into it. And they, they had they the gotta, same kind of problem. Yeah, maybe. they got to talk them into it. Yeah. 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 Um, but yeah, I know. And then when I go you know, and I have the opportunity to do things out of town or mm. when I'm back down South and doing little like runs and stuff. Cause I did in 2019, I kind of alluded to this. I ended up doing, I think it was like 17 cities or something like that yeah. and just booked bar shows essentially mm. because I'm not a, you know, I'm a quote unquote club comic here because I'm at West side, but West side is not, it's not the comedy store. It's not like that kind of vibe because they do every kind of show there that's Mm. improv and comedy and everything else. So that is definitely my home, you know, my home base, uh, or was is who knows Uh, (laughs) my home base. But you know, when I go out, it's like getting booked at an actual club is pretty rare for me, but many of those cities do have comedy scenes. Yeah. And if you just get in touch with, you know, we call him the mayor. If you get in touch with the comedy mayor, mm-hmm. it's pretty easy to figure out who it is in a small market. You're like, oh, this is the guy who books all the shows. Message him on Facebook. Here's my clip. Here's the things I've done. Would mm-hmm. you be interested in putting something together? Usually you get a door deal. And so you'll make a little bit of money doing that. And then they let you do more time, which is what I'm actually after. At mm-hmm. least in 2019, that was what I was after, was trying to get more used to doing long 45 minute to an hour sets mm-hmm. so I could get a fucking album ready for March 2020 the best date to do anything yeah um but it was fun going around and you're just in some new place that you've never been and you kind of spend the afternoon just kind of like walk around the town feel mm-hmm. out the vibe and stuff like that and then you kind of know you know yeah like if you're doing it like for instance I did a show at a lesbian bar in Williamsport Pennsylvania mm-hmm. never been to Williamsport Pennsylvania but I I meet up with the guy who was you know, booked the show and was opening and everything. Mm. Really, really nice guy. Um, and, uh, you know, he kind of told me, he's like, yeah, this is like where all the cool weird people hang out. And I'm like, I'd imagine so, Yeah. <laughs> and it's, you know, in a town this small, it's like, well, mm. this is where we're going to get fun people. So it was like, mm-hmm. all right, I can be fucking, you know, I can, you know, which is a different approach than if you're playing what I played the next night, uh, which was a, a weird restaurant that had a gigantic, uh, like it looked like it was made up, for the undersea under the sea dance from back to the future. Okay. It was like one of those kind of venues where uh-huh. and everybody there was over the age of like 50, you oh, know, okay. like I, I was the youngest person there. So by, not like, not like the Redwood bar downtown, <laughs> but like no, no. the other way you go with like sea decoration. Yeah. Not yeah. pirate under the sea. Yeah. 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 Well, no, I just mean it was made up like a senior prom. Oh uh, okay. yeah. 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 You remember back to the future, the yeah. theme was under the sea. Yeah. It had the streamers, like the blue, macrame like streamers hanging from the wall and stuff and you're just like this is weird and then that show was fine (laughs) you know and i knew when i saw the crowd i was like this is gonna be just okay Mm. like i think i can make them like me but i don't know if i can make them just fucking keel over because uh you know everybody is a little bit old but it's just that you put in that slight amount of work to kind of understand what am i getting myself into yeah you know you got to be at least somewhat curious 
especially about like if you're going to some weird place you've never been, mm. it's totally on you to like look it up on Wikipedia. What is, uh, mm-hmm. you know, what is the history of this place kind of a thing? Yeah. So, well, you know, then what is your best stand up comedy related memory? Oh, man. I'm trying to think. I. Hmm. That's probably, that's probably the, the thing about comedians is most people think so much about bad shit that happens to uh-huh. them because that tends to be funnier that they don't necessarily celebrate the wins. But uh, I mean, you know, I got to do uh, the uh, the show Hot Tub mm. uh, with uh, 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 Kurt Brownell and Kristen Shaw. Yeah. And it was their I think it was their 12th anniversary show. Mm. So the Virgil is just fucking packed. And that is kind of, as far as like LA alt comedy goes, that is like one of the, you know, bigger kind of deals as far as, uh, you know, independently run shows and stuff like that. So my, um, my friends, uh, Joel and Mandy who produced that show were nice enough to hook me up with that spot, Mm. uh, on their, on that show. And it was just like, I, you know, whatever being able to just like, fucking kill a show yeah in los angeles is pretty cool um and it's one of the shows that like the cool kids would say is one of the cool ones totally yeah Yeah, it's a Mm -hmm. cool show to do and the fact that you know as i've said la is a hard place to do stand-up because we're so oversaturated with entertainment you know yeah Hmm. but yeah i would say that one and um you know going going somewhere you've never been and doing really good feels awesome Mm mm-hmm because it's it's almost like you're proving you're proving something to yourself. You're like, okay, I can just walk up in this spot. No one knows me. Mm-hmm. It's such a departure from where where you start. You yeah. Because a lot of times, unless you start in a place like L.A. or New York, you're starting in some weird town like Auburn, where it's like, oh, it's a room full of my friends. They like me. This will be okay. Mm-hmm. You know. As opposed to like, oh, I'm in Boston. Never been to Boston. Wow, I just had a great show in Boston. So it's almost like a little yeah. check mark or something. So I would say, I don't know. Doing good feels good. Yeah. <laughs> That's a bad answer, but it's the truth. You know, you do tend to dwell more on negative stuff because negative stuff is funny. Yeah. Well, then, um, for the final segment of the show, I like to talk about I basically tell the comic to give me homework, something to listen to or watch, yeah. either a special or an album. Um, and I like that because it just kind of either has me revisit things uh like this week we talked about or i listened to kyle canane's death of the party from 2010 yep um i just re-listened to it today actually yeah first time i'd heard it in like 10 years what's your uh what are some of your impressions on hearing it again after 10 years oh man well so i have so much more information now having spent you know the better part of a decade in la yeah and knowing because there's a um there's a podcast uh, with <laughs> problematic figure Ari Shafir right. uh, called uh, Skeptic Tank, which I think started off as some sort of Fordian skeptic exercise uh-huh. and eventually morphed into, and I've only ever listened to this one episode of the show because somebody was telling me what he was doing and he started doing this basically oh, right, yeah. like a VH1 storytellers mm-hmm. thing where he would sit down with a comedian and they would play their entire first album right and listen to it track by track and then each person would talk about the writing process and mm-hmm. i as i told you um in in our text um the death of the party was uh, the last stand up record i heard 
before I was like, I fuck, I have to do this. Yeah. And I, and I think I said this earlier, it's, that is not a, a, a shot at, at Kyle in any way. It's, it's actually the opposite because it was just inspiring. Mm-hmm. I was like, man, like this dude is so fucking smart, but he rides that line so perfectly of just being like a wild man mm-hmm. who is, uh, very intelligent yeah you know? yeah and it was so like it was just like nothing i'd ever heard because you know i love you know Patton oswald but Patton oswald is like a he's like a poet like he puts his words together so carefully you know to be as funny as possible and you can tell he like put a lot of work into it mm. which is great with kyle he put a lot of work into it but you can't see the seams yeah, because he's got this persona of just this fucking like, you know, blue collar, you know, kind of crazy guy. That was one of the you know? things I wrote down was like he it's funny that he's become kind of the go to comic you think of as like the white guys with beards. Kyle Kinane. Sure. Sometimes the word hipsters put in there, at least in L.A. But then it's like but he's got that he does have this kind of like blue collar working class underpinning that yeah well and also the diy thing right because canane now headlines clubs everywhere and does Mm. you know festivals tv blah 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 in 2009 that motherfucker would do backyard shows in like hattiesburg mississippi Mm. like he's you know uh, they say what is it in small towns they talk about (laughs) good looking women and and weather Mm. you know in small towns in the south and the midwest they talk about the time kyle canane played in their backyard yeah (laughs) because that's what he would do and like that that kind of thing just reading up on the guy was very inspiring Mm -hmm. because i was just like oh you can just do this like you don't need anybody's approval all you need is like uh, you know to be funny and to be able to draw a crowd Mm. you know which totally comes from the punk rock kind of diy aesthetic of just being like I'm not going to get booked at the forum. Yeah. So yeah, you got a backyard. I'll fucking rock your face off kind of a thing. Mm. I don't, um, I don't know the history on it exactly, but in the conversations that I've kind of explored with this podcast, talking about uh, like comedians of comedy, they talk about doing a tour of music, like rock venues and doing comedy at them standing room. Yeah. Non-traditional um, comedy spaces. But at the same time, I don't know who did it first, but Kyle Kinane is also in that conversation of doing Oh yeah. That. Well, I think he was obviously inspired by like the comedians yeah. of comedy situation too, mm. which was in Todd Berry. Todd Berry famously is like, I haven't played a club in 40, you know, in 30 years or whatever. Yeah. Cause he hates them. He just mm. won't deal with them. He's like, I would much rather do a door deal with a indie rock venue. Mm-hmm. And I actually got to open for Todd in Birmingham. Mm-hmm. And that was one of those, I don't know. I won't say it's a low point. It was just, it was one of those where you just are like, he was funnier on the God mic introducing me from behind <laughs> the curtain. Cause yeah. he literally will just get on there and fuck with the crowd for like five minutes where they can't even see him. And then he was murdering so hard. It kind of like threw me off balance a little bit. I was like, uh-huh. that's funnier than anything I'll ever do. <laughs> what he just did, not on stage kind of a thing. That mother, he's, he's mm. great. But he was the same way. Like very like, fuck it. I don't need this. I don't need the system. Mm. You know, I'll just It's, it's do- funny you mentioned both because I saw him kind of clean up after... Kyle Kinane bombed at the Lost Night. Was this bar in Echo Park? I remember. And uh, it was like, I think it was their last, they were calling it the last night. It was their last show. Oh, no shit. There was almost no one there. Like it was, Uh, it was on like a Tuesday. It was a problem with the the bar and the location and everything like that. But like. Classic LA story. Yeah. (laughs) And then uh, Kyle Kinane just 
because of so few people and just couldn't get it to work. And I, yeah. it was, I kind of like it though, that I got to see him. Sure. Yeah. A different kind of feeling. Oh, that's the best thing about doing comedy in LA is there every comedian lives here. So nobody, mm. people use, you know, booked shows that I would be like, Oh my God, I want to get on that show so bad. Mm. Headliners use those shows as open mics basically, which is mm. such a f- cool, like thing to see the process. If you're, if you're, you know, as nerdy about this shit as you and me are, mm. that is that is always a great thing is seeing somebody, you know, work stuff out. But um yeah, I remember God, I remember listening to that record and just being like, man, this is so fucking cool and different and I just loved it. But then a few years later, I mean this is probably two, three years ago, I heard that podcast. Oh yeah. And the most shocking thing about that record, that exact recording is the first time Kyle ever did one hour of stand-up. Wow. So with Hmm. that information, when you go back and listen to it, you realize that that album is essentially 10 LA performances that, you know, where you have to... Because for people listening, most comedy clubs in the rest of the country Mm. on any given night, you're going to be seeing a headliner who's going to be doing 45 to an hour. You're going to see a middle who's usually the guy who drives the headliner around (laughs) doing 20, 15 to 20. And then you'll see the MC who's the local guy. Um, With LA, every show more or less in this whole city is a showcase, meaning it's eight comedians doing 10 minutes each, Mm -hmm. even famous people. So like with our show, you know, obviously, if Adam Sandler shows up, he gets to do however much time he wants. If mm-hmm. Howie Mandel shows up, he gets to do as much time as he wants. But for the most part, even headliners are relegated to those 10 minute sets. Yeah. And you go back and listen to Death of the Party and you realize like, oh, that's his hottest 10 sets that he could just walk in without, you know, because there's not, uh, you know, there's not really a through line. Or... There, I mean, there's a bit of a through line in that he is, you know, kind of talking about, uh, you know, lowering expectations mm. essentially to accommodate for the real world. Yeah. You know, if there's anything about that album, but that is also, you know, when you think about it, you're like, yeah, that's, that's, that's where he's coming from. That is his writing process is thinking about things from his point of view. And that is, that's his point of view is just like, I've had, you know, I have to tamp down my expectations because I have to work a fucking job. Right. You know, this job is killing me. And the, I mean, the best part of the record um, that they were talking about on the podcast anyway, is Kyle was like, yeah, I wasn't kidding. I put in my two weeks notice the night before mm. I recorded that. I think it was recorded at, uh, it's either UCB or meltdown. Uh-huh. Um, and he was like, yeah, I think it was UCB, uh, on Franklin. Mm. And he had literally turned in his two weeks notice. And most, uh, he said like a lot of the people in the crowd were his coworkers who yeah. were like so genuinely thrilled for him uh-huh. that they were like, and he was like, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm quitting. Uh, you know, if you want to come to the show, please come. And a bunch of them came. And so that's why when he says, I put in my two weeks notice, you hear the crowd go ape shit. It's because those are all the people he works with. who are just like, so (laughs) thrilled for him that he got the fuck out, you know? Mm. Um, and, uh, but yeah, no, it's, it's funny because that, that record was inspiring twice, Mm. you know, once when I first started to be like, man, this is, this is a fucking, I love this, this point of view. I love this delivery. You know, it's well written, but you can't see the seams. And then to hear it again and be like, you couldn't see the seams, but there were absolutely seams due to the constrictive nature of Los Angeles stand up comedy. Yeah. It's like, that's the only way you can really write 
a mm-hmm. record, you know, if, and that's, and that was part of the reason I wanted to in 2019, do all those, mm-hmm. do all those kind of weird venues and do a lot of time. Mm-hmm. It's cause I wanted to kind of develop a, th- you know, some sort of through line. Um, and you don't, of maybe you don't want to reveal too much about it, but like you were, ge- you're gearing up for that. And then is that like, you still have that and have to get back into it. You yeah. want to do that this year. I don't know. I don't know when, mm. but I've got, it was funny cause I picked out a spot that I want to do it mm. that I just found randomly. I mentioned I did the lesbian bar in Williamsport, right? Uh, down the street, uh, there is, uh, not down the street, but, uh, about 20 minutes away from, uh, Williamsport, there is a venue that's right next to Bucknell university. Mm. It's across the street from Bucknell, which is like a small private school. And, uh, the only reason I went there is cause my, uh, the guy who opened the show in Williamsport is a really funny comic named Chris William. After the show, he was like, Hey man, thanks for coming through. That was a blast. You know, thanks for letting me do that. I was like, dude, thank you for setting up the show. It was so much fun. And he goes, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to hit another spot, but, uh, I'll catch you later. I was like, well, I was like, hold on, hold on. There's another spot. Yeah. <laughs> like we're in like an abandoned city street. It's fucking like 10 PM in Williamsport, mm. Pennsylvania. And he's like, yeah, just right down the street in your buck now. And I was like, what is it? He's like, it's an open mic. Do you want me to text the host and see if you can get some time? I'm like, yeah, I don't yeah. have anything else to do. Of course. Yeah. Let's keep this gravy train rolling, which is a hazard of comedy here. I had mm. to make myself stop doing that with the show in Santa Monica. Cause every Friday night we would do the show from eight to about nine 45. Mm. And then sometimes I'd have a hot set and be like, baby, let's keep it going, you know? And I would hit an open mic and bomb on my ass and go home feeling like shit, even though I'd had a good set earlier. Yeah. So I had to stop myself from doing that here. But there I was like, dude, whatever, man, who cares? Let's, mm. let's go, let's go eat shit at a bar. I've never been to. So we go and it's this place. It's called civil war cider. Uh, and so I'm scared, but like, yeah, it could go either way. Well, Pennsylvania fought for the union. Right, so right. Okay. They're right near Gettysburg. Right. So that's why. Um, and the entire bar was mm. probably built in the early 1800s. Like it is, mm. it is as old school as you can. I mean, just picture where, you know, the founders signed the, you know, wrote the declaration of independence. It's yeah. that kind of bar wood on the floor, mm. wood on the walls, wood on the ceiling. And if you're a musician, you know, that is an incredible sound. Yeah. And this was just an open mic and it was packed the fuck out. There mm. were so many people in this bar and everybody who was on the bill was just destroying. Mm. And because they had texted them, he was like, oh, do you want to do like 15? I was like, of course I do. Yeah. And I got up and just had one of the best sets I've ever had. And yeah, I was old, like, bar, old bars have that, whereas the new bar aesthetic is like concrete steel glass the opposite yeah. of that yeah yeah this is it was like recording in a studio yeah because like, it's wooden walls like so the sound like there's this when you're doing stand-up and you hit a punchline and people laugh there's almost like this like a whip crack sound of like when people start laughing mm. and i just heard it and i was like this is where i'm recording the record mm. i'd i'd been there for like 30 minutes i was like it's here mm. this is a town i don't know i don't fucking know anybody here but this room holds about 40 to 50 people mm. at the most. I think, you know, all the chairs can be turned completely towards the stage, which is also crucial. There's no bank heads. Yeah. There's nobody's got their back to it. 
And I was like, I'm going to fucking hit up Kyle Clark. I'm going to fly Kyle out here mm. to record this thing. And we're going to, we're going to do it. And that was, that was kind of, I made my mind up mm. and I hope to God that bar is still there. Yeah. And the, the owner was cool as shit. I even mentioned it to him. I was like, I was like, could I think like record a record here? Like this place mm. is so cool. He's like, yeah, man, it's great. And they make their own cider. And, oh, yeah. uh, so the guy, uh, hooked me up with a big growler of, uh, of his, uh, his cider that he makes and it was mm. delicious. So that's the, that's the tentative plan. Yeah. Cause I don't, cause right now the tendency in stand up is everybody records their album either in LA or New York or their hometown, you know, that's a big thing. And I just, I think it's, I would I would record an album in Auburn. That seems mm. cool, but I think it's so much kind of like more interesting to just be like, here's a place I've never I don't know shit about. I've never mm. been here. And I can, you know, I can it's a little bit more, you know, demonstrative of your abilities, I guess. It's just yeah. be like, okay, well, I've reached this point where I ain't, you know, I ain't scared of you motherfuckers. It's yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a quote Saint <laughs> Bernie. Yeah. Um Well but, that yeah, we'll, we'll so. be uh I'll be looking out and looking forward to if you get an album out this year whenever it happens um yeah i'm jealous of carter by the way uh carter glasscock uh recorded yeah. an album right before he moved to la in 2019 mm. and then it's called uh the crystal pistol and then use the opportunity of the pandemic to finally put it out on mm. uh, radland records which is kyle's label and uh it's so fucking good it's so goddamn good yeah uh so I, i've just always been you know he's he's uh he's my good buddy and i'm just like all right well carter did it i gotta fucking i gotta i gotta buck up i gotta mm. do it so well we'll be looking out for it uh is there anything else you want to plug river at rivers langley on twitter and instagram goes from yep. the woods is the podcast yeah. corona diaries special uh, edition coming hopefully soon uh will be the return of uh, me uh ringside at the brian kendrick's wrestling pro wrestling i also do <laughs> uh i do ring announcing you got to come to one of these shows oh yeah uh for people listening it's youtube.com slash wrestling pro wrestling just click any video hit play <laughs> and i think i will sell a pretty good majority of people if you like comedy mm. brian kendrick is one of the most respected uh wrestling trainers in addition to uh he's still signed with wwe like he, uh, he works for them but this is this is how weird wrestling pro wrestling is vince mcmahon who mm. is one of the most aggressively defensive of his product and his performers and stuff like that brian came to vince and was like here is what i am doing is this okay mm. and it was so bizarre <laughs> and so fucking weird <laughs> that vince was like yeah, I don't give a shit. Just do whatever you want. <laughs> so they uh, basically the the um, the show is it is a legitimate pro wrestling show. We've got a real ring and everything. And Brian's uh, partners with uh, Ben Tranum, who is a producer. So he runs all the the cameras and does all the ma the sound and does all, you know he's the big brain. Mm. And uh, our other buddy Derek Smith, who wrestles as a character called Cereal Man. Uh -huh. uh, where he is essentially he's Hulk Hogan, but his head is a giant box of cereal mm -hmm. um, that he made. And he's he's from Virginia, and he came up uh, under the tutelage of Techno Destructo from Guar, wow. uh, who <laughs> taught him to make those crazy foam suits that Guar wears on stage. Yeah, that's quite a lineage then. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And so they make 
these weird costumes mm. for about half the roster. So when you come to one of our shows, half of it is if you're into wrestling, you already know Southern California is one of the epicenters of indie wrestling. Like mm. some of the most talented performers in that sport are located here. And so you'll see like people like Eric Watts, who is a goddamn like probably six foot five, six foot six, just a fucking mountain of a man mm. uh, who is the nicest guy ever. But is fucking you just see him. You're like, I would not fuck with that guy <laughs> for all the money in the world. So you see him fighting uh, like a, we have a three headed dragon called King Giraffadora, mm -hmm. uh, for instance. Uh, we have uh, my personal two favorite characters are a serial man and his uh, is a companion uh, Pop-Tart boy, yeah. <laughs> who is a man wearing a full head to toe Pop-Tart. And the funniest part of that is, of course, him just trying to get into the ring yeah. because he can't bend his body. Uh, and that uh, Pop-Tart Boy, by the way, played by the Human Tornado, who is an incredible wrestler in other uh, oh. promotions and stuff like that. And we got approached to do that because of our podcast. Ben uh, hit uh, told Brian because he was Brian was basically like, we want a couple of funny people to do commentary on mm. this and they broadcast so everybody can hear us. It's not like WWE where you can't hear the announcers. Mm -hmm. Everybody hears everything we're saying. Yeah. And so for two and a half hours, I just get to fucking be because oh, I've always, so fun. I've always been a big wrestling guy, mm. but I don't necessarily know. I don't know all the moves, mm -hmm. but fortunately, uh, Dr. Pat, uh, who I mentioned, uh, used to be with wrestling pro wrestling before he moved on to, uh, greener pastures in Canada and uh, Eric Barnes, who's also a comedian. And Eric is the guy who can be like, Oh, that is a, you know, sit down Michinoku driver. Like he's one of those guys that yeah. just <laughs> knows everything. And I just get to be a fucking ridiculous idiot yeah. and just get to do jokes and get to riff. But when we talked to Brian, it was funny because he was like, he obviously heard the podcast and he was like, yeah, you guys would be perfect. And he was like, listen, man, you know, uh, the whole thing with this is it's, it's supposed to be funny. It's supposed to be silly. So, um, you know, you guys can just like make jokes and you can like make fun of the costumes and just shit on everything if you want. And I was like, actually, man, I think this will be better because what's in the ring is so goofy. Yeah. You if play we it straight. Play almost. this as straight as yeah. possible. So I only ever get as wacky as like Jerry Lawler used to do back in the day uh -huh. with bad jokes mm. and dumb shit. But I never, ever criticize anything that's yeah. in the ring as far as because the costumes look ridiculous it's yeah. so stupid but it's so much funnier to discuss you know the 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 physiology uh mm. of of uh, the kinetic movement of a man who has a cheese for a head yeah <laughs> and how he would navigate such situations we've got a sasquatch uh that fights mm. uh sam squatch we've got a loch ness monster that fights mm. uh it's so fun uh, say the name of the show again wrestling pro wrestling okay twice the fun because twice the wrestling yeah <laughs> uh, and uh right before the pandemic our last show we were introduced to the evil uh alternate dimension uh pro wrestling pro and they did a nwo style invasion angle and that's what we were setting up in february of 2020 and then obviously we had to put that on a bit of a waiting list but hopefully by mm. the end of this year We'll be coming back and I got, you know, that, that honestly feels so close to what I want to do with stand up 
is yeah. just fucking just riffing on whatever's in the room. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it feels like podcasting, but it's so elevated because we do that show at the Burbank Moose Lodge, which full capacity <laughs> holds like 250 people. Yeah. And so it's one of the bigger crowds I've ever been in front of. But because mm. I'm behind that little desk and I can just I know Eric is right there. He knows his shit mm. so he can actually call the match. And I'm just sitting there sniping jokes. I'm like, yeah. all right, in a minute, this is going to happen. And I know I'm going to say this. Nice. And we'll see what happens. So that 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 is uh, that's something I've. I've just absolutely loved. I've been doing that for about three, four years now. Nice. So I'm looking forward to that coming back. Other than that, I uh, mentioned uh, WEGL. Their 50th anniversary is coming up. And on April 23rd, uh, my two shows are going to be airing. One is at 7 a.m. Alabama mm. time. That's central time. So drive time with the hot damn radio hour boys. Uh, that is a, an hour of uh, straight good country music uh, with us uh, doing voices and mm-hmm. uh, acting like idiots. And then at 10 o'clock, Alabama time again, the Dr. Rock and Captain Fantasy show mm. that I do with my friend Chandler. So both of those are in the can. And I'm going to be on the actual anniversary on the 25th. I'm going to be releasing those on our Patreon for free. Mm. So you don't even have to be a member. It's uh, patreon.com slash the goods pod. So we're going to have two radio shows that you can listen to. And if you like uh, the goods from the woods, uh, then you can also subscribe five, five bucks a month. I've got bonus episodes over mm. 90 hours of bonus content at this point and growing all the time tomorrow. I'm going out to uh, hang out with uh, Nashville's favorite comedian, Chris Crofton, who mm. is one of just the most brilliant people I've ever met hmm. in stand up. And I, I've only known this guy for about a year. Uh, I was introduced to him by Carter. Carter was like, there's a guy you need to know. Yeah. <laughs> and I met Chris and it was just like, wow, this is, this is incredible. Um, so we're going to be talking about the 1978, uh, Beatles musical, uh, starring zero Beatles, uh, Sergeant Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club band starring Peter Frampton and the Bee Gees. Right. Yeah. And it is, <laughs> I just watched it and I, I didn't, I thought it might fuck this podcast up. My brain was so like scrambled by it, but (laughs) earth, wind and fire. That whole movie is justified by the earth, wind and fire performance. I've got to get you into my life. They were really, (laughs) they were my rock. I was like, okay, well this whole thing is stupid bullshit, but earth, wind and fire fucking rules. Mm. So, well, I will give links to everything. Um, yeah, I'll yeah, send we, you those pics so people can see my shower stall. Yeah. You <laughs> <laughs> see James Adomian doing funny voices in my weird... Oh, hell yeah. The weird backyard shower stall. This post will have uh, a lot of uh, addendum, a lot of extra kind of figures, like in an academic article. We're going to get the... No, that's our role. Do you ever... Are you, Y'all are on Twitter, right? Uh, I See, I'm not... I haven't been using Twitter much. Instagram's kind of my base of. Okay, that's my go-to. Is uh, I always if I say some shit that's visual, I always just go find us on Twitter at the Goods Pod. We'll post it there, and then I'll just put it up there. And I'm like, well, yeah. people really, if they really want to see the, the, what were we arguing? Mm-hmm. My my signed Walker Texas Ranger post uh, a picture that we were arguing about yesterday. Mm-hmm. That's on there. <laughs> we, uh, we got to talking. I think you might beat. Kyle Clark for oh, long, for <laughs> longest episode. Yes, finally. we're gonna see what happens with editing out some pauses and this and that. But uh, I don't know the exact figure, but you can kind of say screw you, Kyle. You almost beat him. So yeah. Oh wow, nice, fantastic. Thank you for listening to Don't Sit in the Front. Please rate and subscribe and leave me a review. You can follow the show on Twitter with the handle Don't underscore Sit or Don't Sit in the Front, all one word, on Instagram. Our music is composed by Chris Helking, and our cover art is provided by Memory Bloom Studio. 
thank you so much for listening and just remember to always punch up and keep swinging.